just 15 bucks a month. For a limited time, buy any three-month Mint Mobile plan and get three more months free by going to mintmobile.com slash AL. Astonishing Legends would like to thank Mint Mobile, Gerber Life Insurance, BetterHelp, our contributors at patreon.com, and you, our listeners, for making tonight's show possible. Hey folks, welcome to the third annual Astonishing Legends All-Star Holiday Special. This show originally ran live on our YouTube channel on December 12th, 2022, but we're releasing it now to all our podcast subscribers as audio only. We have an amazing lineup of special guests in store for you. Forrest and Tess and I are thrilled to welcome, in alphabetical order, Paul Gledhill, Micah Hanks, Jim Harold, Richard Haddam, and Allison Jornlin. So get a fire going, have a little eggnog, and sit back and enjoy this year's special. It's the Astonishing All-Star Holiday Special. Happy Holidays here, December 12th, 2022. We are so excited to be back. This is our third All-Star Holiday Special, and we have some of our good friends with us tonight, some new friends. It's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, firstly, I'm Scott Philbrook, obviously, and that's Forrest Burgess. Thank you. Uh, but anyway, we, we want to welcome uh, some folks here. One of the first persons that we want to bring up is, of course, Tess Feifel, our right-hand woman, uh, without whom very little would happen at Astonishing Legends, uh, certainly online anyway. So, hey, Tess, how are you? I'm good. Happy holidays. Happy to be here. It's so warm and cozy. Yeah, it is nice and cozy. Are you supposed to have like bad weather later? Because you're East Coast, right? So I have been so excited for this. I have not been paying attention. I thought you were going to say, do you have bad drinks? In which case, yeah. yes, I can't Those wait have. to show Rich. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, we are actually going to go ahead. We have a lot of folks waiting backstage, and we'd like to bring them up. We're going to introduce everybody. I guess we'll go uh, alphabetically out of uh, respect for everyone. So first, let's bring up Gledders, uh, because last name's Gled Hill, Paul. Hello, sir. Having a nice beer. This is our friend from the UK. So he start- we're starting very late with him, and we want to thank him for staying up tonight. Paul, thank you for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome, and uh, season's greetings and good cheer for all of you. Yes, good cheer, and uh, it's great to have you here. And we'd also like to welcome our returning guest, Mr. Jim Harold. Jim, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Good to be here. Good to be here. Season's greetings, everybody, and glad to be with the August panel to have some uh, fun, frivolity, and uh Fortean conversation. Yes, indeed. Thank you for joining us. Uh, also welcoming back uh, Mr. Rich Haddam. Richard Haddam, thank you for joining us, sir. And thank uh, you for having a cocktail, even though it's two o'clock where you are. <laughs> <laughs> or no, it's three o'clock, isn't it? Three o'clock. Where it's now three o'clock. Come on, man. It, it's just a martini <laughs> glass full of Robitussin. So, <laughs> 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 
<laughs> it's Christmas. It's a Christmas party. Come on. I'm not it going is to Christmas. Hey, what do you want from me? And uh, we're also welcoming back uh, Mr. Micah Hanks coming back to us from the mountains of North Carolina. Not too far from me. Micah, welcome back, sir. Indeed. Welcome to all of you and everyone out there who's tuning in and joining this little holiday shindig. I, too, have brought some seasonal cheer in my, well, I guess my very merry Yeti mug. So good to see all you guys and a very season's greetings. Happy holidays to everybody. Happy holidays. Thanks for taking time. And then for the first time this year, we would also like to welcome Allison Jornlin. Allison, thank you so much for joining us this year. Hey, everybody. Happy holidays. Yes, I'm uh, the designated driver for this evening. I have some wonderful cherry juice. Oh, nice. Okay. I'm drinking. But you know what? I did find that some little elf put this in the fridge. Oh. I love all things Fae folk. And this is known as the Green Fairy Absinthe. Oh, nice. Oh, Very nice. So uh, I'm absinthe curious. So yeah. Yeah. anything you guys can tell me about it, I'd love to hear. Allison, <laughs> this is the perfect time to do it. At the party, live, and we'll just track exactly what happens. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe I'll just try a little bit. And try MC. a little. Come on. I don't what have, like, go the, wrong. The it's supposed to cause hallucinations, I believe, like proper <laughs> absence from the old days, right? I right, think right. Insane. Well, you know, well, like I said, it just showed up in the freezer. So <laughs> re- and, yeah. and it's got the little green fairy on it, so I'm not really quite sure. If the fairies approach you, you're not supposed to eat or drink. Oh, that's anything. a good point. That's a good if, point. If um, and I've seeing... also heard it tastes like anise, so I'm not sure. I'm um, so it tastes like what? Anise. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's just licorice. It's licorice. It's a licorice. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. If, if you start seeing a spot with a top hat with a skull on it, you'll know that it's starting to take effect. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But this is also from my favorite scene in Coppola's Dracula when that, when uh, uh, mm. Mina and uh, Vlad Dracul have their date. Oh, and, yes. And they have some absinthe, and uh, it always touched me. So that's why. <laughs> This one tempted. I, I think it depends on if it has the once banned ingredient wormwood uh, extract in it, which I think is now uh, legal. That's so right, it, it's the wormwood. It, but I should right. say it on the uh, on the ingredients label. But who knows? Uh, other than that, it's just going to be a very strong alcohol. Uh, right. And uh, if you're the only thing I know is that uh, from watching a documentary on is uh, uh, to pour it over a cube of sugar. Yes. It'll oh, that's right. That's time. right. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you, you need a but you need a bunch well, of them to start seeing stuff. Oh, yeah, there we go. go. Thank you. That's from the thank you to the mechanic. He's our director back there. He's there he's we go. Yeah. Up with these images. yeah, nice work. Well, before we start getting into our festivities and just kind of shooting the Christmas breeze, I want to just go around briefly and talk a little bit about who each person is and our backgrounds for people that have not seen a holiday specials one and two or even heard of us since this show we're doing public and live on YouTube. Uh, the first thing I will say is I am Scott Philbrick. I'm co-host of the Astonishing Legends podcast. We're hosting this party tonight, and these are our friends. We've been podcasting about eight years, and my co-host is Mr. Forrest Burgess. Forrest, uh, do you have anything else to say about what you and I do for a living? It's just <laughs> gone on way too long. It just, it just seems <laughs> like our like our episodes. We're very flattered that people, they want as much information from us as possible, as much deep divey kind of things. And, and when we uh, when we have something fun like this, they're like, oh, I was kind of hoping for you, you'd really deep dive uh, <laughs> uh, on a particular topic and they'll have several suggestions. But really, it's a break for all of us. And it's really uh, because a lot of us are podcasters here and have their own content creation projects that we're doing. But really, it's a time to gather and celebrate what's gone on in the past year. 
which is what the holidays are meant for. So it's really a holiday and break time for, for Scott and I, and as well as our good friends and the amazing network and community that's built up around just having a show for free on the internet. And <laughs> eight years later, I'm just, I'm amazed and and really cherish this group of folks that have, have I've come to call friends. And then that's the most amazing thing that's happened. Uh, uh, regardless of anything paranormal, this is really, not only is this unusual, but it's uh, it, it's really inspirational for me and, and Scott. And uh, I'm just glad to call you all friends and have this network going. Indeed. Why don't, on that note, Tess, why don't you say, how, how long have you been with us now, Tess? It's been... Seven years. Seven. I episode thought it was 21. Six. Yeah. Her first episode was Dyatlov Pass, right? Mm-hmm. See, I knew that. That's It's just mm. been amazing to have your help all these years. So thank you very, very much for uh, keeping the, the front of the house going, I should say. <laughs> I know. I'm watching YouTube comments. I think everyone's very excited to be here. There was a lot of comments about Star and Nice. Yes. Uh, and, yes. Well, <laughs> and I said transcript will reveal all. <laughs> yeah. It's, it dep- well, it just depends uh, on where you got it, because I think in Europe, uh, it was, uh, you know, there's a long history and tradition. Uh, it's got slightly different recipes, but uh, wormwood was the one that's like, you know, like a lot of poisons. If uh, a little bit, you could have some fun too much. And I seem to remember over. they made it legal a few years ago. They were like, no, well, it's, it's back. I, well, I, I felt like I read have- something about that. Yeah, you can have versions of it, but it couldn't have the one poison ingredient. So it right. would taste like it. But right. uh, the thing that, uh, you know, at least that got Toulouse-Lautrec all trippy, because if you look at some of the paintings, there's a greenish cast. Now, it's theorized that he was painting a lot of that or took inspiration while uh, after several absinths, because it was uh, you know very popular uh, in Paris of, the, of that time. And from what I know is like, yeah, you could uh, import some of it. It just couldn't have that, that one ingredient of wormwood. But now that restriction may have been lifted. So, and there's a pretty good documentary on Netflix about the whole process. And it's quite fascinating. But, you know, it's one of those uh, herbal uh, concoctions from uh, from Europe, like uh, uh, Jägermeister or any of those uh, things that has got a lot of herbs in uh. it. And it's fun in small amounts, but it can be abused to uh, frightening proportions. But, yeah, I've had some of it. It's the brand Grand Absinthe uh, that a friend of mine got from Czechoslovakia. And uh, it's just like a kind of a strong, bitter alcohol. And, and I did not have enough to... To see anything that I wasn't no yeah to, no so. no hallucinations, not enough to what? see uh, uh Kelly Hopkinsville goblins or yeah, <laughs> anything, anything like that. Well, uh, I knew you guys were the right ones to ask. About it, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing, but I guess I so. just thought it was the most romantic uh, scene in that Dracula movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's the, the, the green fairy wants <laughs> you, but me now you're safe with me. Well, so Allison, since you're talking, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you and your background and what kind of, speaking of content creation, the things that you are working on? Sure. So I'm a professional weirdo. Uh, <laughs> I um, started uh, Haunted History Tours here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 2008. I loved it so much. And uh, my brother lives, uh, Mike Huberty lives in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, our state capital. And I'm like, dude, bro, you got to do this. And so I helped him get started with his first one. And um, I was teaching then fourth grade. And uh, so I just focused on that for 13 years. And he really built the business of American Ghost Walks into the successful uh, money-making venture that it is. Yes. And here here we are. Um, He's on the right there. Our American Ghost Walks banner um, during the Krampus Knock Parade that we recently sponsored uh, in Milwaukee. 
and I'm in the picture too, but I'm dressed like this. So, <laughs> <laughs> so getting in the goblin mode. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm a uh, full time now, and this is a uh, Atlas Obscura actually covered our mm-hmm. uh, Krampus knock this year. So that we, is so we great. Feel, we feel really privileged, and it's actually this was founded by uh, author T. Krulos who is a great friend of ours. He also runs the uh, Milwaukee Paracon uh, every year and, and we're sponsors, American Ghost Walks is sponsors of that as well. And uh, T. Krulos actually happens to be uh, one of our very talented haunted history tour guides uh, for the Milwaukee tour. Oh man, I want to uh, come do these tours. This yeah, just sounds amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. so I am uh, left uh, teaching behind a few years ago and Now I'm professional full-time weirdo uh, writing haunted history tours for many of our different states. We're in six states right now. That is so amazing. That's the coolest thing ever. That's great. Allison, would would it make you more comfortable if we refer to you as Mrs. (laughs) Chornland? Well, actually, you know what? I have this Mrs. Chornland mug in the other room. Uh, You're still teaching. You're you're just teaching the dark side. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, you get a little something, something. Uh, Like back in 2017, when um, all that UAP news broke, you know, I ran in and told the kids, oh, my God, look at the New York Times. But, you know, this is what makes current events uh, interesting to kids. Yeah. They didn't call you up at the next PTA meeting about that? No, no, (laughs) no. We've had some complaints about Mrs. Jordan. <laughs> That's right. We have concerns. <laughs> so, um, I, Paul, how about you? Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your show and what you're up to over there in London? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm just uh, enjoying my time off. I, I retired in May, so I'm uh, at university now and enjoying that. But uh, I do have a podcast called Anomaly, which I do with uh, my co-host, Steve. And uh, we have a whole bunch of uh, good people on our side as well. So I've got to do a couple of shout outs to uh, Uncanny Lassie and Bethan, who are both massive fans of both Rich and Forrest. And if I didn't mention that, then they'd kill me. But uh, um, and uh, and Scott (laughs) and Tess. Now it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. Um, So yeah, you can find my podcast at anomaly.co.uk. But um, this is all about you guys tonight and. And, uh, and we met as far back as the Bet Sphere episode. Or yeah, that's right. That's series. right. Series. Yeah. yeah. Why? So, and it, are you allowed to tell people what you retired from, or do you have to kill everybody if you do? <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah. Um, no, I can tell. Um, yeah. So the, the reason I contacted you is because my uh, little skill at behavioural detection. I, I used to be a cop, and I was uh, working at Scotland Yard for years and years and years. Here I am now with a, yeah. a, a gorgeous Christmas jumper and a beer. <laughs> yeah. So it stand up so we can see it. Mandalorian. So a Mandalorian. Christmas yeah. Oh, very nice. Amazing. I, I've got no pants on, so I couldn't stand all the way up. No. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you for that. On Zoom, never say stand up. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially to Paul Gladhill. So, Jim, how about you? I think everybody should know who you are. You're the OG without you. Uh, it's certainly, Forrest and I wouldn't be here. It's a true honor to have you back, as always, and to have you in our midst. 
Thank you. It's, a, it's an honor to be um, a part of this every year. I look forward to it. It's part of my holiday festivities on my calendar. So glad to be here. Jim Harold, host of Jim Harold's Campfire and the Paranormal Podcast and some other shows. And the only thing I can say for people of a certain age, you'll know what I'm talking about. I suspiciously feel like Paul Lind right now. Because <laughs> you're uh, in the middle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway. If yeah, you could oh, do an impression, I mean, I'd no, pay money for no, it. No, 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 no. But people of a certain age will know what I'm saying. We just need yep. one more person at the bottom to make it perfect and Peter right. Marshall uh, hosting. That's so, right. But Paul thank Lind you guys. So glad to be here. Looking forward to it. Now, yeah, there you so go. Think, look at there that. You go. The Hollywood <laughs> stage at the Hollywood Squares. There you go. Wow. <laughs> we had that just like off to the side. Yeah, Richard's we book for beforehand. most <laughs> cultural references. He'll pull out a book for yeah, uh, at least every second or third topic that somebody mentions. He's first editions, signed cool. first editions. All right, and Mr. Hanks, why don't you uh, a little bit of background here from Mr. Micah Hanks joining us again this year? Indeed. What's going on? It's good to be back first and foremost and to see everybody, all the newcomers and also, of course, those old Christmas chestnuts that keep rolling back from the fire. You know, in recent years, I started very much as the anomalist and I still am. But all of a sudden, uh, I think my career has taken a turn for aerospace, defense and science mm -hmm. reporting with the debrief.org. Yes. Uh, and that's been commanding an awful lot of my time. But uh, that and, of course, you know, traveling mm -hmm. around, speaking at events all this year after the uh, pandemic, it's so good to be able to get back out and talk about all these developments that Allison was, uh, was talking about with the UAP we've been hearing about in recent mm -hmm. years. A lot still happening in that sphere. But of course, you know, I still love Sasquatch or his Christmas cousins, you know, the Krampus, we all know, the Yeti, the icy uh, stone giants, all the uh, the cryptid creatures, you know, Christmas time. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a great to be able to get back to our roots and to enjoy some time together here in the holidays. And of course, I bought a beer or I brought one at least for Paul since I owed him one. After That's not right. getting a Beatles reference in there last night, Paul. So, yeah, I know. Right. So good to see everybody here. Really looking forward to the evening. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you tell us, uh, you had a guest appearance, uh, albeit too briefly, on Howard Hughes's show in the UK. Can you tell us a little bit about what that episode was? First of all, it was with Howard Hughes, who has one of the very best voices in radio, in my opinion. <laughs> absolute crack short professional, cracking good. And, yeah. you know, almost as good a voice, in my opinion, as the, uh, the OG himself right here with that fancy microphone. Oh. The man, Jim Ho 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 Harold. Yes. <laughs> studio, even at Christmas time, even looks a little spooky and strange like <laughs> Halloween. But, yeah, you know, Jim and I. Uh, actually have a, a long podcasting history together, too. Yes. Uh, and uh, well, I think probably one of the very earliest interviews that I went on, if not Jim's show, was Howard Hughes. And, uh, and he actually said I was one of his earliest interviews, too. So we must have started right around the same time. None of us started as early as Jim is the thing, you know. <laughs> That's right. Jim, how long have you been at it? How long have you been at it? Uh, 2005, I started. Wow. Gosh, I loved the paranormal report. That was yes. the thing. That like, was those guys. Was Thank you. Cleaning the that classroom was... after a busy week and I had to like shovel out the guinea pig cage. I would turn that onto the smart board and I'd watch you guys oh, that's talking the about the that's latest cool. move. And that would get me through all the not so pleasant parts. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's very cool. You're yeah. too sweet. And, and, and indeed, you know, uh, I enjoyed those days back in the day. Uh, 
uh, Jim and I teaming up and, and having some fun. But again, you know, that that tradition very much continues right here. Back to your question, Forrest. Mm. Howard had me on talking about a sonic acoustic same thing, an acoustic levitation technology that we reported on recently there at the debrief. Now, of course, you know, the thing is I have to cover a lot of science, aerospace, defense, physics, astronomy. I love all that stuff. But I mean, you guys, you're like family. And so you know this, especially Jim. I'm a UFO guy through and through, right down to the core. I think Allison knows that too. And um, if I could, if I could spend more time just contributing dialogue to that subject, I probably would. But something else I love, and this is near and dear to Richard's heart as well. I got to share this really quickly. I acquired, I was at CryptidCon this year. Oh, yeah. And uh, look what I obtained from Mr. Easton Hawk, that remarkable, uh, that's Allison, here we are. (laughs) That remarkable artist, Easton Hawk. Oh, this is some original Mothman art that he produced. Wow. Easton, oh, and there's so many great amazing. artists that attend that event every year. You know, Jen and Jamie, my dear friends. Gosh, so many talented people. But anyway, again, I, I love that Fortean side of it too. And so far tonight, Jim's the only other one who's dropped the F word, Fortean. No, I get, it's hard to tell what I'll do. <laughs> I hope we get into some of that too. All right, I'm done rambling. Go ahead. <laughs> and uh, so, Rich, what are what are you up to? What are you working on these days? Well, we just uh, finished uh, Titan season four, so that's airing now on HBO Max. Excellent. And otherwise, I'm I'm really just here to monitor Tess's drinking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so the, the, there's going to be some beverage. Yeah, yeah, what do we got going on uh, here? Is a can of Four loco. What is this? <laughs> oh, Bud Light oh, Seltzer. Oh, oh, when, when water isn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> the carbonation makes the intoxication uh, effect you gotta, you faster. You can only buy your drinks at a gas station. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get you all the way to a, I don't know, a supermarket, a liquor store, <laughs> something. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dylan, and you're listening to Astonishing Legends with four Scott Philbert. Wait. Sco for Burf. Whatever. Back to the show. Well, it's just so great to have everybody here. And I, you know, we have a few things that we wanted to talk about. And we can go sort of freeform on this. It's been an interesting year. It's been an interesting year for us. I guess, you know, for us, we're trying to get our business ready for the next year, the coming year, which is looking a little a little bit interesting economically. I don't know how things are going for other podcasters, but there's definitely some exciting things happening there that are a little unpredictable. But we've got some great topics that we're going to cover next year that we're real excited about. And uh, we want to do more junk drawers, which are live like this, which we're hoping that all of you would come join us on when we do those. That's We do that for our patrons. But in this past year, looking back, I wonder if anyone has any stories of anything unusual. And I'm I'm actually going to start with one. I'm going to start with something that happened to me just three weeks ago. It's a bit strange, but I, I had a UFO sighting. And the craft that I saw was actually fairly close. So I'm just going to explain this. I was down at the beach at a family home that uh, my aunt and uncle have. And I was outside bringing some stuff in from the car. And I looked up because I always look up since the show, probably a habit I got in about three or four years ago, thanks to all of you guys, listening to all of you all the time. And I looked up and I saw a red light and a, a couple of white lights and they weren't that high. They were maybe a thousand feet, maybe 2000 at the most, just quietly hovering. I mean, dead quiet, no drone fan, no buzzing, no nothing. 
And I was like, well, that's strange. But the first thing I thought was it must be drones. And I was with a friend who is um, an ex-National Guard guy and actually has some military background. And he was like, it's got to be military because there are some bases in North Carolina. There's weird stuff flying all over the skies in North Carolina. But it was really just not that high up. And as I was looking at it, I thought it was a single craft and it had this red light and this white light. And then I thought it was a single craft. But then I saw when it started to move, I could see stars passing between the two light sources. And then it just slowly went away, still never made a noise. And then the two lights separated and the red ones became way more defined. And the only way I can describe it is kind of like one of the UFOs at the end of um, Close Encounters, the little ones that looked like a jukebox. It was one that looked like a jukebox. That was what it it had long red bars on it. Like I'm a car guy. So like I'm going to say it's kind of like an old... 300ZX or something, like a long red flat bars that were out. And then they went off and they went into different directions. Hmm. Never made a sound. Altitude wasn't that high. Since then, I've seen a uh, like a Cessna at the same height. And I would say whatever their like low cruising altitude was about the same height. My friend was just like, it's got to be a military thing. It's got to be a military drone or something. But he also couldn't figure out why it didn't make any noise. We couldn't figure out why they went in different directions. And the one, the lights on it, the character changed as it went out of sight. So- I've never seen anything like that. I've seen UFOs, but they were always pinpoints of light, like stars that changed course very, very far away that were obviously under some kind of control. This thing was like, I felt like if the daylight had been on, I would have been able to really make something out. So that was something that happened to me just about less than a month ago, which it was very strange. Yeah. So did it it feel weird? Did you have a weird feeling when you saw it or were you? Yes, I did actually. And I filmed it, but it's horrible. I felt so bad because you're just like, oh, wait, I'm another person with a fuzzy, bad video. And I'm trying to hold the camera still. I tried to Mm -hmm. zoom in with, I've got a nice iPhone with the, you know, 15 lenses on the back of it, but it still didn't look great. When I zoomed in, it didn't look great. So then I zoomed out and I kind of held it, but you just, you can't tell anything. But what I can tell you is that they were not normal navigational lights that you would see on an aircraft that wasn't normal. But on the other hand, like I said, there's bases not far from us. Uh, There's actually a munitions base near this part of the beach where I was at that's heavily guarded. So they could be flying some kind of night sentry drone or something. But I mean, it was dead quiet. And there were two things and they, it was weird how they were just hovering over because where we were, there'd be no reason to be there. It's just a suburban little beach cottages or whatever. Sorry, I was just going to say, I would challenge anyone who complains about the quality of UFO footage to, to film anything in the sky, film an airplane the next time it flies by, right. film anything that flies in the sky at any time of the day or night, just grab out your iPhone and, and try to film it and see if it looks like the thing that you know it is, much less a thing you might not know what it is. It's that easy. It really no, is. It's incredibly hard. You said something about bar. Was there a bar shape that you saw? Yeah, the lights towards the bar, end. Just before I was in a bar. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was not in the a shape, bar. The shape, the shape. But like, no, the it was a like a long tube of red light. I'm trying to think of something now, similar to compare it were to. Were the lights like within the bar? Like it was uh, solid. Or, or it was, was solid. like solid red bar. Yeah, there was solid red bar and another red bar and a small red circle in the middle. Like it was a lot of lights. And that was as it got further away. And I don't know if they became visible because it was turning or something about its nature changed when it got further away. Because so. something I saw in 2016, I would describe bar shaped. Okay, um, but I'm not saying this is the mothership or anything, right? Uh, because this was broad daylight. Actually, driving to work at 7:20, I got to be there at 7:30, <laughs> and uh, 
I'm like, what is that thing in the sky above the over? It seemed above the overpass, but I didn't know. It was hard to judge like how high it was and right. where exactly, you know, it's, it seemed like it was right above the overpass, but then the end of the sighting kind of contradicts that. But it was two rectangular objects and uh, it looked like a gray bar with three white things in the middle. I think they were lights, but again, this is 720 in the morning, September 26th, uh, 2016. And it was interesting because there was one up in the air and then there was one to the side of the other one and lower. And they both looked exactly the same and they just looked, there didn't seem to be any movement. It seemed like they were just hanging there. And so I tried, you know, like you're driving and you're like trying to get your phone to take it. It was not good because right. uh, it was an expressway. There was just no way to do it. And that day. And then I got I got off right after that and uh, looked back and then saw them higher up in the sky. But they seemed smaller. And I have no idea what that was. I mean, I've seen drones and other things. And again, I'm not saying this is the mothership. You know, maybe it was like. Could it have been some weird kite or I don't know what it was. It's just like I've never seen anything like that. But it was bar shaped. So that's why I wanted to contribute that. Oh, yeah. That's I yeah. anything to have you as my fourth grade teacher. This is Jordan. Uh, a UFO took my homework. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, completely understandable. It happens to everybody. Actually, that day, as soon as I got to class, I had a free write with the kids. And I'm like, something amazing just happened. Because I wanted to commit that into text before I forgot all the specifics. And then I shared, you know, here's my free write about my extraordinary experience. And then I welcome them. Well, share your extraordinary experience. So, you know, we're always trying to come up with interesting prompts for the kids to write on. That's so great. That's so <laughs> great. How about you, uh, Rich? Have you had anything unusual happen this year? Or what's your favorite latest book? I will literally show you what I'm reading. But can I also like say that these would make great stocking stuffers? Because it's yeah. a holiday show and, you know, people are going to need... Yeah. So Susan got me a few of these from my birthday. Okay. Have you ever seen these? These are these little books. A visit. And they're uh, from a company called Biblioasis. Oh, no. And, and what they are, these are ghost stories for Christmas. It says, revive a spooky Christmas. Oh, that's tradition. great. Oh, those so are Christmas, You see the time of ghost stories, and they've got a bunch of them with these really cool covers and then, and then these really like fun illustrations on the inside. And they're all pretty short. They're just short stories. And some of them are by famous writers you've heard of, but they're through a company called Biblioasis. I'm looking at it now. And you can get them and literally they you jam them right in a stocking. So I've been reading them. They're really fun. They're authors I don't know. And so I've been kind of uh, digging on that. And then That's other than cool. that, of course, I've been reading UFO books, just, you know, and texting Rob Christofferson, who could not be with us today. <laughs> yes, we did invite him. He was unable to attend, but yes. So, okay, so that's cool. And have you uh, procured any new first editions that we should know about? Oh. Well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> What was the one last year? There was one somebody had, Scott, you had a first edition or something. Uh, yeah, I've got like, uh, I've got my... 
my best one. Oh, it's on the other bookcase. Well, here's the one that Scott and Forrest got me. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh. My birthday. Aboard a flying saucer, Truman Bathroom. Yes. Fine. Yes. And, uh, yeah. It. Let's. Uh, oh my. Did God. you did you get your uh, birthday card uh, recently? <laughs> in the last few days ago. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Oh, very nice. <laughs> and signed by Truman Bathroom. Yeah. yeah. But the books of this era are great. I mean, even if they're not great books, even if you know, like it's been proven later that they're total bolt, you still need the book. Look at this flying saucer from Mars. Oh, okay. This thing. Okay. By Cedric Allingham. It looks like it was published yesterday. This copy is so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually from uh, the year of our Lord, 1955. Wow. So this book is 65 years old. Yeah. And this era just produces the coolest looking books with the best covers. So you don't need to read them. You just need to buy them and then display them. <laughs> yeah, right. For, for no one, because no one comes over to my house to play with my books. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jim, what about this past year for you? What was you talked to so many people? You've got so many. How many shows do you have on the air right now? Well, I do the Paranormal Podcast, Jim Harold's Campfire. Um, you won't believe what happened to me. Then I do a bunch of plus shows, kind of like you guys yeah. do your your Patreon thing. Yeah, yeah. And a little bit of video here and there. So, uh, and relaunching Crime Scene starting in January. Okay. Uh, which I was stupid enough. I, I started a true crime podcast before Serial, but I put it behind a paywall, which was not business-wise. Uh, made a little bit of a miscalculation. There. Uh, but, but nevertheless, nevertheless, you know, just uh, more of the same. I mean, uh, a lot of great campfire stories. Do you, would you want me to tell you a favorite campfire story? Yeah, what was, yeah. what's some of the, you, I mean, some of well, the best stories I've ever heard are from your shows. Well, obviously. one, I have one real Twilight zone one, and maybe I could do that one later if that's okay. But this was more, you said, one of the weirdest things. This didn't happen to me, obviously, but it did happen in my hometown. Somebody called up from the Cleveland, Ohio area, and she, we, uh, we have a lot of big hospitals here, kind of one of the things we're known for. And she works at one of those big hospitals. And I believe she was a respiratory or is a respiratory therapist. And one day she's working with this patient and they have to transport this patient somewhere for a uh, test of some sort. So there's a gentleman from transport and her were going down with him in this big, large freight elevator. So they, they get into the freight elevator and the woman turns her face back out to the, the patient floor. And across the way is another elevator, which is like a passenger elevator. It, you can't fit a uh, hospital bed into it. She looks up, she sees a group of people getting into the elevator and they turn around. And there's a woman there who looks suspiciously like her. And she looks more closely and she realizes that it is her. She's seeing herself. So that would be weird enough. So the all day she's kind of puzzling over it. They take the patient down. He, they do with him whatever they need to do, bring him back. She continues to work. She just can't stop working because she saw a doppelganger of herself. So, you know, it puzzled her all day. So at the end of the day, she's tired, you know, tired from doing her job. Anybody that's worked in healthcare, bless them. That's a very tough road to hoe, tough work. Um, she's standing by the passenger elevator with a group of other colleagues She's getting in, uh, and she turns around and looks out towards the patient floor. Across the way, there's a freight elevator, and she sees somebody with a hospital bed, a man and a woman, and the woman looks suspiciously like her, and it turns out that it is her. 
she sees her doppelganger the other way around. So essentially, she saw oh her goodness. own doppelganger twice in one day. Ugh. Oh, wow. You know, that again, is a Twilight Zone. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, is that, I mean, to me, what does this person get out of calling my show and just making this up? They don't get any money for it. Right. They don't get any fame. You know, I'm a mid-tier podcaster. It's not like their name is in lights. So why would somebody lie about that? And and to me, when I've done the shows, you know, as long as I have, I don't know what's going on. I'm convinced of two things. One, something is going on with all of these topics that we all cover. And the other thing is, is that the nature of our very existence is much weirder than we realize. In a lot of cases, the explanation is not A, B, or C. Sometimes it's D, all of the above. So anyway, that's uh, one of the weirder stories I heard this year. That's a good one. I love it. And, uh, you know, did she say that anything portentous or, or, you know, anything... Um, notable had happened to her with regard no. to that? Other than that absinthe that, that she had. <laughs> uh, well, I was, um, so I was thinking of, of my favorite paranormal author, Catherine Crow. She's never mm-hmm. far away from my mind. And uh, in 1848, she wrote The Night Side of Nature, which <laughs> is completely free online. Oh. And she was one of the first people to use the word uh, doppelganger mm-hmm. um, because um, she wrote this book in response to reading about all the incredible discoveries that uh, German uh, scientists and uh, doctors mm. were making in the early 1800s. She was the first one, according to Oxford English Dictionary, to use the word poltergeist and bring it into English language usage. She was one of those rare paranormal investigators that can read other languages. So she was reading a lot in German and in French, and uh, she had to bring those discoveries into English language. So that's why she wrote this book. And um, so she has a lot of poltergeist stories in here the first uh, mention of poltergeist, but I think she might also be the first mention of the word doppelganger. Um, so she, there's a lot of doppelganger stories in here, and they usually portend someone's death, but not always. There's there's another phenomenon like that, which I think is uh, more Scandinavian derived, and it's not in this book, but I've heard about it elsewhere, called the Vardiger. So the Vardiger is uh, just uh, something a part of you that comes when you're running around and your thoughts are on, on other things. Like, uh, I remember reading a story about a doctor. So, you know, she was in a medical setting too, this, mm-hmm. this person that, that you interviewed. Mm-hmm. So, um, there was a, a doctor and, uh, that might actually be in this book as well, but, uh, it's not referred to as a writer, but uh, this doctor would, uh, you know, be running around having to see different patients. And he would oftentimes show up before he actually showed up. Like he'd show up in the room or he'd be talking to a colleague and he wasn't actually there yet. And he got so freaked out about it that he forbade everybody in the, in the hospital for mentioning that to him. But Vodigars are more like you want to be somewhere else and you still have to do other work. But a projection of you ends up getting home early or getting to a patient's bed early. So maybe that's more of what she was wow. experiencing. Cause again, she's in a medical setting. So, so same kind be. of situation. 
and this uh, projection of the self that arrives before the, the physical self is recognized and it interacts with other people right. and is assumed to be the actual person. So when this doctor you're talking about would arrive on the scene, sorry, I'm late, they would say, well, you were just here. <laughs> Right. Exactly like that. Or um, we just talked about that. Or, you know, wh what do you mean you just got here? <laughs> yeah, I, I have. I just want to interject this and I'll shut up. I had a story just like that, Allison. Very early on the campfire, this woman, I think they lived in a trailer. And her daughter, the, the she was had a high school daughter, and the school bus would drop her off right almost in front of the house. So the one day, her daughter storms in. She starts cursing at her mother, you know, a blue streak for nothing, just like cursing at her and angry with her. She storms down the hallway to her room and slams the door. Not a minute later, her daughter works in the front door very casually and like, hi, mom, how you doing today? And she <laughs> said, well, you were just here. You just cursed me out. She's like, what are you talking about? So oh, that wow. reminded me of that one of arriving before you arrive. Right. That, that reminded and me very much of that. Maybe she had that hidden, you yeah. know, this anger. Yeah. But yeah. it just like, it had to like explode out yeah. of her. Yeah, it's very weird. But um, that's a kind of a variety of doppelganger. And uh, I think it was the Scandinavians that gave it the name Vardiger. So it doesn't have like the same like negative connotations as a doppelganger can sometimes have which you mean you see your doppelganger and that means you're soon to die uh, or the, the fetch. It's called the fetch in yeah, Ireland. Yeah. So those are very negative connotations, but the Vardiger, no, not so. It's just uh, you showing up uh, because you're yeah. just that kind of type A person, type A <laughs> person. Right. And then the other, other people are like, wait, now, is this really you or is this your projection? Because I don't. Well, you know, oh, it's, it's, yeah. you're, the, you're the only person I've ever heard who's brought up. I always thought it was called the Vardogger, but Vardiger is a much more elegant pronunciation. I, but no I don't know if that's correct. It. Well, I just it was something I read about years ago and it played a part in Mothman prophecies because that's what happens to John Klein mm -hmm. before he gets to Point Pleasant. He's been seen in Point Pleasant. And oh, that's like, right. All right, let's uh, toss in a little uh, Vardiger uh, action in there. Right, yeah. because that's in John Keel's book about people yeah. saying, hey, you were just here. Why are you back again? And he's like, no, I wasn't. There was that, and there was also a lot of people receiving phone calls from him that he never made. And um, he would show up places and they're like, well, you you said you weren't coming. And, you know, people hearing from him in various ways that he did not uh, – he was not responsible for. So yeah, I love that. Boy, that is weird. That I mean, that gets to a point where you, you can't even begin to explain the reasoning behind any of it. It's like, wait, what? That's real glitch in the matrix kind of stuff. Well, it's, it's remember, uh, Richard, hey, you gotta remember their yeah. motivations are not human. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite, one of my favorite lines. You know, yes. and then, you know with, with the more humans I know, I prefer those motivations. Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's also you know you wonder about parallel universes and parallel realities, yeah, many slips in times where you it's like that uh, we all exist on a certain vibration or frequency, and that drifts in. You go down the you know between the hills, and suddenly you're not listening to talk radio. It's the 50 station that fades in, and then you come back out and uh, for between the hills, and it's it's just for that moment though you were listening to a different reality. And uh, so I looked it up, and of course this is what's odd is I just punched in the uh, the terms twilight zone 
woman, and it finished the uh, the search, and it said uh, woman on the horse. And so that Twilight episode is spur of the moment uh, for you folks. Uh, it's episode 141, and the setup is that a, a woman is being chased by a woman on a horse. She doesn't know why. And uh, not to give anything away, because Scott will yell at me, but this he's never watching this. And this is, yeah, it's not like it, it just came out last year. Uh, so the, the, basically the idea is that, uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> she's basically haunted by a version of herself that was older, telling her not to make the mistake she made 25 years ago. So in that case, it's not just a, an image that you don't know why, but it, there's a desperate kind of a, a feedback loop that's created because she wished she could go back and tell her her young self not to make this mistake. And of course, she didn't know what was going on when she was younger. She just thinks she's being chased by a crazy lady on a horse, which turns out to be her. So yes, if you're interested in that, I think they took that all of the uh, Twilight Zones off of Netflix maybe last year, but which is a shame because they had all of them. And then you could watch the rarely seen uh, season four, which had the hour long episodes. Yeah. Which Rich Adam likes to, yeah, he likes to bag on them. So uh, as, as Rich says, it's like, it shouldn't be an hour. No, it just, yeah. it's 30 That's minutes. Why That's why I put it on Blu-ray. <laughs> right. One thing, one thing that I think is uh, interesting, Jim, about the original story that has tangentized into all these wonderful other side stories is, um, there is actually something that I learned in school, a book that's always stuck with me by Marshall McLuhan called um, Understanding Media, The Extension of Man, which is a very bloviated title. But <laughs> the first chapter is called The Medium is the Message. message and yeah. it's more of a focus that like maybe the individual is not the unique person, but the hospital. So like even Forrest mentioning vibrations and all these these comings and goings of energy maybe it was bound to happen if you spend enough time in a hospital yeah interesting that's a good yeah one. it's well a lot of um it's just funny how different people uh have different perceptions of what you know a place is supposed to be haunted or not and they always think uh, of course with cultural representation the popular media you you only think that hauntings can happen in uh in spooky old abandoned abandoned victorian houses uh, I, I bring this up a lot, but I, I remember Jimmy Kimmel uh, asking some of his guests, like, well, do you believe in ghosts? Especially, you know, if the, their character involved a, a movie with one. He says, well, here's why I don't believe it, because, uh, you know, hospitals, people are dying in hospitals all the time. It should be chock full of ghosts. And what he doesn't realize is that, yes, they are. And it doesn't have to be an old <laughs> hospital. It's just there's a lot of uh, just human uh, emotion and imprinting going on. And uh, if you talk to anybody who's worked there for quite a while, you will get some pretty good stories. And I have one. I don't know if I should read this now. Maybe wait on it. Uh, I'll, I'll defer to Scott on that. Uh, but we had a pretty good one come in that uh, for our Halloween stories episodes, we did a three-parter and asked for people's stories. And this one, it wasn't so much scary, but we wanted to hang on to it because it is kind of heartwarming. It involves uh, a, a subject that a lot of folks here are uh, very interested in, and that is the near-death experience. Rich's favorite. It is one of his favorites. Mine too. Scott, should I read that email? Yeah, go ahead, read it, read it. Okay. Well, this came in, again, as I said, uh, in our batch of Halloween stories. And I think we'll still do something with this. We'd never have met this person, but they sent another batch of stories, I think last year, here's your coincidence, for our Christmas call for stories, for heartwarming Christmas tales. And she had one, I'm not sure if we read that one then, if it made it, but uh, she had a kind of a heartwarming one where, this woman's a nurse. Her husband's a doctor. 
right there. It's like they have some knowledge of uh, what happens when a person legally passes uh, physiologically. And she got a call from her recently deceased father, who could also speak French. And she picks up the phone in the middle of the night, just rings, and it's her father's voice saying, je t'aime, je t'aime, I love you. I love you several times. And she's like, wait, this, well, it sounds like dad, it can't be my dad. He just recently passed. And then the voice just kind of fades out. Talk about another twilight zone and just kind of crackles away and the call drops and, you know, it's the middle of the night, but her husband remembers getting the call. And of course, I don't think it showed up in the call log. So it's just one of those calls from beyond, which is another topic we all love. So anyway, that was the first story she sent in coincidentally for our Christmas stories. This one was for Halloween. So uh, before I read this, uh, she puts a preface on as well. There's a bit of a trigger warning, and then it involves death and stillbirth. But I think once you hear it, you'll find it hopeful. But if those concepts upset you, you may want to tune out. But it's not that bad, at least according to me. So uh, she starts off saying she'd previously written in. She has been graduated from university for 20 years now, and she's had some pretty astounding paranormal events, both in her professional and private life, but the one that she's going to tell here is the very first one that she experienced in the early 2000s. Uh, so this person wants to go by the name Sally. So that's how we'll refer to her. Uh, she says she was a team leader on an afternoon shift in a general medical ward where she worked. This was quiet during the afternoon shift of uh, about uh, in military time here and another country. So about 2.45 p.m. to about 11 p.m. And she says uh, she's had a couple of hours before the end of her shift. And at that time, most patients had settled down for the night and everything was relatively quiet. And she had recently become a nursing graduate, or she had a nursing graduate on the team with them. And he came up to her and he said that he was, quote, unable to get a blood pressure on bed 16. And she asked him if he was unable to get a blood pressure because he didn't know how or if the blood pressure wasn't registering in the Sphygmo, which is a blood pressure machine. And he replied that it wasn't registering. And she said she immediately knew something was amiss and she ran into the patient's room and she saw her gray face on the patient and pressed the code blue alarm button at the same time. So now this is her in her words. Uh, the code blue team came straight to us and happily uh, she was resuscitated. Two days later, one of the team from the ICU popped into the ward and told me, Mrs. X wants to see you. She was sitting up in bed and still uh, monitored, but extubated and smiling and happy. And she said, oh, I wanted to see you because I saw what you did for me. And Sally was a bit taken aback. And she asked, uh, well, what did I do? And the woman said, when you pulled me back, she said. We talked for a couple of minutes. And that's when I heard from her chilled me. She said that she knew something strange was going on because she opened her eyes and she found that she was floating near the ceiling of her hospital room. She said she saw me rush into her room and punch the code blue button above her bed head and start performing CPR on her. She described the code team coming in, applying defibrillation pads, shocking her, fluid <laughs> resuscitating her, bagging, intubating, et cetera, et cetera. I merely listened and I didn't feed her any information regarding what had or had not been done to her during the resuscitation process. Then she said, oh, that nice doctor who is all dressed in green, he has a very sweet spot for you. Uh, but you know, he has a bald patch at the top of his head. I laughed and asked Dr. X. I knew who he was as I had spoken to him on, on the odd occasion. She continued, yes, he's quite handsome, but that bald spot of his has distracted me quite a bit when I was up there watching. Honestly, I am five foot three. This is Stanley talking now. And this doc was around six feet. So there wasn't any way this tiny nurse had seen the top of his head. 
or in fact, how this little old lady lying in her hospital bed had seen that bald spot. She then started to tell me about having no pain or fear and that, quote, the people above the ceiling were asking her to go back because they she knew she was being hasty trying to come and stay with them. When I asked her if she wanted to come back to Earth, or for want of a better word, she said, oh, I didn't mind. I know it's there now, and I am certain it's going to be fantastic. So I'm ready when they are. This lady went home from the hospital happier than I'd previously seen her. She seemed to have a new bounce to her step, and despite being 78 plus years, I thought she looked more vibrant and lively since her resuscitation. I hope she found those people above the ceiling. So then it goes on. There's a couple more uh, interesting anecdotes here. Very short, though. After that day, I experienced a lot more paranormal events. Uh, number one, same hospital, different floor. This housed the executive and administration staff of the hospital. No one would go to that floor during the night because of the terrible atmosphere. The security guards had to attend the floor, but they'd go in pairs because of the strange happenings. The doors would slam by themselves, and you could hear newborn cries echoing in the empty corridors. The elevators worked perfectly during the day, but security always had lots of trouble moving from that floor after their rounds. The elevator always seemed to want to stay there. The history of the hospital isn't dark or mysterious, but rumor has it that it has an indigenous woman lost her newborn baby when that floor was a maternity ward and she'd put a curse on the hospital. Soon after this, the hospital lost its maternity services. Story anecdote number two, a 104-year-old man who had his two spinster daughters beside his hospital bed for days, uh, he'd been unconscious all that time. When I arrived for my morning shift, I asked the ladies if they would like to go have a cup of coffee or tea. They decided to leave the room and go to the visitor's cafe. When they had walked out of his room, the old man opened his eyes, smiled, and watched them leave. And then he took his last breath. Number three, and this is the one where um, it, it could be kind of sensitive for some, uh, number three, I also work in an operating theater specifically for emergency cesarean section births. During one particularly tragic birth, the baby was unable to be resuscitated after being delivered by emergency C-section. I was walking out of the operating room and I looked down the corridor about 20 feet away from me and I saw a young woman holding a baby. And I thought, oh, S, who's that? Not in scrubs? Who let her in? All those thoughts shot through my mind as I started walking towards this intruder. She smiled at me and said, don't worry, I'm taking her home to see everyone. Then she faded before my eyes. The stillborn was a baby girl. So there you go. And she says, uh, out of all the things that happen in hospitals that appear to be paranormal, I have one more thing to add. One hears stories about empty hospital rooms having the bell go off when no one is in the room. My colleagues and I, mm. I have experienced this more than once. Paranormal? Well, not for us. If a bell... If a call bell isn't properly plugged into the wall socket or falls out, the call bell will ring automatically. It's a fail-safe method to ensure call bells are attached properly. If they're not, the bell will sound the alarm to alert the staff to repair or attend. That's a great series of events. It's a great stories. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, and you have to think that for all the ones we hear, how many there are that you never hear, that nobody ever tells, they don't share, they don't email it to somebody like us or whatever. There's, it's a lot, there's a lot going on out there. And it's interesting to me how skeptical people are uh, when they listen to the show. They just think because they're there's not exposed to it more that maybe it's not there, but it's not. It's, 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 this is a weird parallel. But I was looking at yesterday. My wife just had on the TV. She had the John Taffer on. You know the Bar Rescue Show. If you, I don't know if anybody's ever seen that, but it's just like 
really loud, aggressive guy who saves bars that are going out of business. But one of the things that he's like, oh, I can't believe you're doing this. I should sh shut you down now. What, whatever, all that stuff. But one of the things that he said to this bar, they were like, well, we haven't had a lot of complaints was he said seven and a half out of 10 people don't complain. They just don't come back. And that's like a statistic that he knows because he's been doing that for 30 years. And that's the statistic. Like we don't have a bar, but like I always wonder about the stories that, uh, you know, the Jim tells and the it, sometimes we tell on our show. And it's like how many out there, how many people aren't sharing them or aren't going to bother to share them or something happens and they don't think about it. And it's funny, too, because it, Forrest and I have also talked about um, what we call paranormal apathy, which is like right after this event, you're you stop thinking about it. you just go back to your regular life or you go back to sleep or you go back to what it's like what is that i don't know what that is either and when or when i was talking about the ufo story from earlier i found myself just in the next hour i was like i should be really way more freaked out and then i was like what's for dinner you know you're just like okay wait this was this an earth-shattering moment well i don't know it's gone i can't do anything about it now it was really bizarre what's for dinner you know and then the next day you're thinking about it and the only reason i thought about it more is because what we do but it's strange. That's and that's when the what is it? Uh, Forced in the uh, the man who sees UFOs was that it or the uh, yeah the Christopher uh, documentary? Uh, with yeah, the people um, on the beach, like the young couple sitting on the wall at the beach, and there's like a UFO and the like a really obvious thing. Oh, it's just, it's just yeah, it's above the it's above the horizon and yeah. uh, Christopher Rapolo, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. Is, yeah, is the gentleman's yeah. name. It's a terrific. And here's the thing: I'll just say this about uh, some of these documentaries and that you. The other one is Jim is trying to contact aliens. Is that a lot of these stories? And, and Rich uh, will attest is that you you yeah, there's some weird stuff going on, perhaps, or it's just somebody trying to find weird stuff. But more so, it's a story about the people involved in these searches, requests, or these strange things that happen to them. It's it's really as much about a story, not, not about these strange incidents, but the person themselves as a human being and a personality, and how do they reconcile this? with people who don't see this stuff. So anyway, it, that documentary is fascinating. It's very touching as well, but there's a couple that they look like they're on a date having ice cream. They're like, you see that light there bouncing up and down on the horizon? Like, it's not the sun. They're like, yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> and then they go back to eating their ice cream because like, well, how do you process that? The one that, when you take it to a little a little further, I mean, we've had uh, Johnny L. Tenney tell us uh, when we interviewed him, it's like, oh yeah, he's he's, you know, seeing something weird in the sky. There's a group of people standing at the crosswalk ready to cross. Like, hey, you see that? And they're like, no. And it's like, and some of them will get mad. That's what's interesting too. It's just like, I don't want to hear this. Do not ruin my day with anything that's outside of stuff I can handle. It just inspires a lot of anger. And for different reasons, as we said, to, uh, not Dave Davies, Davis in Wales, who said, you know, he was mentioning his story that he experienced and somebody in a bar punched him out. Now, maybe that's just that's just a Wales, a Welsh greeting. But, you know, <laughs> he said that uh, it's also like, don't don't taint our community with your crazy talk, Buster. Uh, they're going to take it very seriously. But, yeah, there's a whole a bunch of levels where people just they don't want to deal with this. And right. there are people who have the experience and don't want to think about it because of the feelings that it brings up. There's mm -hmm. people who have had UFO abduction experiences who, when the memory comes back, also recall being told not to remember or that mm -hmm. you will not remember or you should not remember. And they have a lot of apprehension about that. I just read The Interrupted Journey. I'd never read it, the John Fuller book from back in the 60s about Betty and Barney Hill. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot 
lot of that. And also a lot of discussion about how they felt about their experience and how that sort of paranormal apathy presented, especially for Barney, who just on, on a deep level did not want to deal with it within himself, much less the larger world. And then with the near-death experience, I've heard stories where people avoid talking about it because they feel tremendous guilt because when they are where they go, they don't want to come back and they don't care about their husband or wife or their oh, children. Yeah, yeah. And when they come back, they struggle with those feelings of, whoa, I was so ready to give up my life yeah. and go on to the next thing. And it takes them a while sometimes to sort of process those feelings. They, sometimes they do speak of it right away to hospital mm -hmm. personnel who dismiss it. Yeah, well, and it's then, it's Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters. He basically just yep. leaves Terry Gar and his three kids, and he's he's ready to go off, and he comes well, back, and he's, he's aged six months. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's difficult. This is not something that people. Oh, I saw a shadow. Oh my gosh, I saw a ghost. Oh, I'm going to go on television. Oh, I'm going to write a best-selling book. That does not happen unless you're reading The Skeptical Inquirer, in which case apparently it happens all the time. Right. It doesn't happen, right. okay? And the times it's happened, we all know about it, and we yeah. all know it's fake. Yeah. I hate to ruin anyone's Christmas, but Amityville is fake. you <laughs> 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 thrown down well, the gauntlet. So here's, well, here's my other uh, angle on that. It's like when people, it's popular, as more and more people start to discuss the paranormal, you see these tropes being discussed, and it's like, okay, it's easy to dismiss this angle whether it's like, oh, we've heard this so many times before, now we know that this this is not true, kind of a, an angle, in that the Amityville, it's like, if you have one thing going on, it's and again, I it was referred to it with the Patterson-Gimlin thing, is that, uh, or as we said, uh, Jose Chung, the great uh, X-Files episode, is that there could be multiple things going on. Like you said, if there's ap paranormal apathy, perhaps it's a, it's a programming not to remember it, but also your own subconscious <clears throat> reaction to it to keep yourself in your own sanity. And then uh, there could be multiple things going on. So what I, what I was gonna say is that at that house, uh, yes, uh, the one family could have been uh, making that up to to get out of the house, whatever reason that's, that's mundane, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not haunted. It's like the Patterson-Gimlin film. Yes, he could have been in the middle with a guy in a suit off camera and he's got a 16 is is kodak k100 shooting 16 millimeter film at the creek and then a real bigfoot walks in they're not mutually exclusive so like i said there there could and there's several levels and i think that also adds to why it's hard to research some of these things i think there could be multiple true things happening at once that is it's hard for us to parse because we have no puzzle pieces to, to figure out here we only see one really weird thing happen but there's there could be multiple mm -hmm. levels to it yeah. You know, a minute ago, Jim was talking about how the world is stranger than it appears on the surface. And we spend a lot of our time in the supernatural ghetto, you know, digging through boxes and stories <laughs> and knocking on doors. But for everyone who isn't us, they hear this stuff and they're like, well, yeah, I don't know, maybe, except didn't happen to me and doesn't really affect my life. And it does sort of beg the question that if it does happen, why doesn't it happen more to more people? There are a lot of people who, who have an open mind and like to hear stories and will believe it, who have had no experiences. But I wonder why 
phenomena only sort of reveals itself to a smaller portion of our world. Maybe hmm. it's uh, happening to a lot more people. Like you guys were saying before, this is just so fascinating to me because I've, you know, pondered this myself about some of my own experiences that kind of just went under the rug. And then years later, you're lucky that you're triggered. And you're like, wait a second. And you, you know, I'm all about it. But I think when it doesn't match your day-to-day is kind of an algorithmic response. Oh, that doesn't fit, does not compute. And then you just go, time to go back to work. You explain it away. Yeah, well, or it just, you you forget about it. My husband, this is going to be very brief, but uh, he's a photographer. He went to this old um, abandoned um, driving theater, taking all these arty architectural pictures. And then he just like, he's in the screen, he's, he stumbles out of the screen, you know, he's not paying attention to anything. And as he walks out, he sees all these people surrounding uh, the area in black robes and they're banging the heck out of this old car. And he's like, whoa, and he just backs away and then gets the heck out of there. And uh, some people are driving in and they give him this look like when he's, He's going up, they give him the look, and he's like, whoa, what did I just stumble into here? And I was at one of those boring baby showers that we're all obligated to go to as women. And um, he told me this after he picked me up, and that should have just, I am always looking to be just popped out of the mundane. Please, God, help me. And he gives me this story, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's incredible. And then you know what? We're just like. Got all about it. It was a Sunday. Had to go back to work on Monday. We've yeah. about it for years. And then we're yeah. watching this TV. This is not paranormal. That's why I'm using it to explain yeah. kind of um, the similar thing. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're watching this movie on a Saturday night years later. And I've already fallen asleep on the floor. And then Scott like jumps off the couch and he goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was there. And it was American movie. Which was this famous movie made about another movie <laughs> called Coven. Coven, um, yes. yes. Oh, yeah. That, Not was, that was uh, put together by Mark Borchard, who Borchard. was a Milwaukee. Yeah. And that was the filming of a crucial scene. <laughs> oh, they my have God. That's at amazing. That American movie. Yeah. And, um, but I was so ashamed of myself because then it all came flooding back. Yeah. Oh, and, look at that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Coven. <laughs> It, yes, Coven. Coven. Um, <laughs> yes, that's how we uh, pronounce it in Milwaukee, and for, yeah. uh, 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 apparently. So, um, but that was so shocking to me as a teaching moment for myself, where I was like, "Whoa, you are all about this." I'm ashamed of you. You didn't even make a call to the police, or you know, you didn't even. <laughs> I like, thought it was a cult of people that right. hated 1984. <laughs> you didn't even go like, "Well, we gotta go there next weekend when we don't have a stupid baby shower to go to," you know. If it's it just kind of shows that wasn't paranormal, but it shows how when something doesn't fit into the little box, it just like is forgotten about. So I'm That's sure true. And I'm all about it. So yeah. you would think other people, they don't like it. They're not all about it. And things happen. And maybe it's just it just goes under the rug because they have that everydayness that when. Uh, you know, the banal, the mundane life that really is. But what I found disturbing about what Forrest said is the judgment, not only coming from social media, but from some spirit floating above you looking at your bald spot. Come yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> even if they're having an out-of-body experience. Yeah. 
This story is brought to you by Rogaine. It's the, yeah, you, don't, you don't think they're watching you in the bathroom? I beg to differ. I, I think it's like when you no. come back, you mention it. Like if you if you pass on, that becomes your spiritual apathy, your your human apathy. Of like, yeah, I, I really don't care to see anybody naked anymore. It's just like you're you're moving on. Uh, but if you come back from there, then you still have those human tendencies. Is like. Yeah, that bald spot distracted me a bit. It's like I, I just I can't be see that being a big deal unless you've right. moved on. But do you do hear about all these spirits who they're still angry about something? They want yeah. their story to be told. It's a little bit like uh, it's the Watson brothers, the, the brothers yeah. Watson, as we've gone. It's really two terrific. Uh, it's, it's, it's our most recent two episodes. It's our most recent about yes, I don't know. Yeah, about uh, about the 57 uh, I, Irish immigrants. Yeah, right. Who uh, were looks like at least a few of them were met with murder in 1835 while working on this stretch of the railroad and how many coincidences happen for them wanting their story it seems to be finally told and exposed so they can maybe get some peace and my coincidence is we we just had wrapped up an interview uh, with the two gentlemen who also are professional bagpipers they'll they'll play at events and, and different gatherings and while i was driving home here in glendale on, on brand uh, boulevard for those that know uh, there's the Alex Theater, and uh, I look over, and there's a bagpiper on the sidewalk, just a lone bagpiper. And it's like, well, that's a bit of a coincidence. And then, of course, uh, this is a, a bit of how you want to take this, like what Allison says. It's like if you want to let it lie as something unusual, uncanny, and meaningful in that sense, or if you want to drill down and investigate and ruin all the magic, uh, I look up, it's like, oh, it's the opening night of Brigadoon. That's why... There's a bagpiper there, <laughs> but also it's a, that's what synchronicity is. It's, it's too unrelated. Yeah, it's like you left a, a third from yeah. doing that. You're on your way home and then there's a bagpipe. Now are you seeing a bagpiper because you're thinking about bagpipes and you wouldn't have thought about it at all or even regarded it. But I would say, you know, being a former resident of LA where you live, I would <laughs> notice the bagpiper no matter what was happening if I was sure. driving home uh, yeah, it's, in, in it's LA. It's not common, you know, yeah. and that's the thing is like, you know, if you're, in a uh, a city with a, a heavy Irish history to it, yeah, it's a different. Uh, certainly, thing. you, you right. might see more of that. It was still a coincidence. You can just dismiss it like, oh well, it's just yeah, they just hired a guy because they're they're drumming up a little excitement for the opening night of Brigad their production of Brigadoon. But at the same time, it's just like I just got done talking uh, to do two guys who actually composed bagpipe tributes to the Fallen Fifty Seven. And uh, we listened to a little bit of that. We're talking about it. And then there it is. And so that's the synchronicity is that it has from those two separate incidents that really have no connection. There's a bit of connection and meaning to me now. And like, that's the world I choose to live in. So talking about, though, uh, things that should not be there, not very common, especially uh, in southern England or I guess anywhere in the UK is a no, large. I'm meant to be here. I promise you. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're meant to be there. Yes. <laughs> well, there, there was something that um, I was thinking about, something, something that Rich said earlier on about emotions. And emotions reminded me of um, something that had happened a few years ago. So uh, I go slightly off topic here, but I guess I kind of remember talking to you on one of the junk drawer episodes about this, about uh, 999 calls that came into mm. the. Uh, into the control room. So over there, you guys have 911 and we have 999. And uh, we had this emotionally charged, dropped 999 call almost on a weekly basis from a house that had burnt down. And, uh, the, you know, most of the children in the family were killed in that fire. Hmm. The, the telecoms company were saying, 
well, this shouldn't happen. This this call shouldn't be coming in. That the, the line had been cut off and everything, and that the house was no longer there. But that call came in on a weekly basis. It definitely happened. Wow. Um, yeah. When there so, was somebody on the call, a voice. Oh, we, we'd pick it up. Yeah. You know, I, I was in the control room once when one of those calls came in, and the computer system automatically tells you where the subscriber is. Um, and it, it went back to that address. Nobody, if you called it back, it was just a dead number. Um, but when you picked it up, was there talking or is just, a no, no, call? no, no, just completely dead. Wow. Yeah. Nobody there. And, uh, it had to be, uh, had to be looked into because the, the you know, there's a, a service level of response to dropped calls because anything could be happening and, uh, yeah, crazy thing. Where were we? So, oh yeah, UFO sighting. I had a UFO sighting this year. Okay. Hmm. And um, I was with my co-host Steve. Um, he's in the chat tonight, so he'll be able to attest to this. And uh, we were up in Yorkshire visiting with Paul Sinclair, and mm -hmm. uh, we were on the cliff tops at Bempton. And you know how it is where you have an area with no light pollution, and you can look up and you yes. can spot satellites coming over, and they 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 move at a, a really good lick through the sky, and you can only just work them out. They're a pinpoint of light, but we we had one like that, and I I was very happy with this light traveling from west to east out over the North Sea that this was going to be a satellite, but once it got directly over us it started to tumble slightly in the way that it was moving. And it ended up veering off at about 60 degrees towards south, which is not the behavior of a satellite, I'm sure. I mean, Micah might be able to assist with that one. Um, but certainly back in my RAF days before I joined the police, I'd, I'd never seen anything like that. So, yeah, bizarre. But big cats in the UK. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big thing. Um, since COVID, I mean, the, 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 we, we've mm. had sightings of uh, big black leopardy type cats in the UK for the last uh, 30, 40 years. And I, I was chatting to, uh, in fact, another friend Mike has got, um, Rick Minter, who yep. I know. Uh, Rick's a top guy top top guy and you know we, we were discussing this in uh, i think it was the last episode of my podcast and uh, i was out helping rick put some cameras in as we we're investigating a site just outside of london where deer are being taken and um at sort of the same time every year the carcasses of these deer are turning up and that they've been stripped right to the bone and there there are tooth pits on the rib cages of the animals etc so th there's plenty of good footage of these things but i, I had my own sighting back on august the, i can't remember august 16th i think 2020 and i was um, absolutely blown away by this and um that's and the for, date that's the exact date you got because yeah, i have these august files 16th yeah? yeah august okay. 16th 2020 yeah. <clears throat> so I was at the top of a hill near where I live. I'm, I'm an amateur radio operator. I enjoy all that stuff. And uh, it's nice to get away from all the electrical interference. So I get up the top of the hill and I'm adjusting the antenna on top of my car. And it's just coming up to dusk. And this black cat comes off from the right-hand side, walking across the freshly harvested field to my left-hand side. And this thing was just all muscle. It was just amazing. And, and they're not um, native to the UK. 
you know, and, and they're not they're not paranormal either, but they, they're, they're not supposed to be here. And I, I guess the thing about these is that so many people feel that they don't exist. It's just not enough people have seen them. But uh, this one, and I, I know uh, the mechanic's got a, a couple of live uh, yes. footage. So this is, uh, yeah, this is one of the pictures of it sitting down. It actually turned around to face me at one stage. My blood wow. ran mm-hmm. cold. But there's a, there's a couple there which um, really will show the feline. There you go. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, to give you an idea, this thing was the size of a Labrador, and it was longer than a Labrador, probably half a, half as long again. The next day, um, I went out into that field, worked it out. It was about 50 to 60 paces from where I'd been standing. So I, at the time that I saw it, I was quite happy that I'd probably have been able to get back in the car. <laughs> I, I, I kept an eye on this thing for the best part of 20 minutes. And um, at that time, I, I just started phoning everybody. And I, I got on the phone to Paul Sinclair and said, look, you are not going to believe what I'm seeing right now. And he, he's very blunt, is Paul. And uh, he says, well, what are you seeing? And I said, uh, I've got a black cat. He says, well, what are you bloody doing talking to me on the phone? You want to film it? <laughs> so, and, and he was right. So I, I managed to uh, take quite a lot of photos. And the best part about the iPhone, I guess, is that, that even though the video wasn't overly great, the live photo on the iPhone was mm-hmm. able to create those little snippets of uh, footage. But yeah, this thing was amazing. Um, and there are various reasons. Didn't you here. take a bucket out in the field? Or didn't you do a scale experiment? I did, yeah. I did yeah, it the next what? day. W- worked out. Um, I, in fact, you might even have the photos of that. But uh, you know, I, I took a measure and a barrel out into the field, put it yeah. down, worked out roughly the height of this thing and the length. And yeah, it was, um, it was easily the height of a Labrador. I mean, this thing was just so beautiful though you know it's, it's a killer it's an apex predator but it was absolutely stunning like i always hear those stories coming out of the uk the, yeah. one of the black cats um i'm in pasadena those pictures were amazing i've got this thing this this showed up in my bedroom <laughs> yeah and it just oh, you Lord. can sort of see it it's not great you can sort of get a, the impression that it's a cat look rich that's a I devil don't know. Cat. Those, those are paranormal, truly paranormal. Those are devil cats. Beware. Stay away. Don't trust them. Don't yeah. give them anything to eat ever. All right. No. They're going to take anything they want to eat anyway. I was more I concerned by the carpet. I a bad feeling off this one. A real <laughs> bad feeling. Trust your gut, buddy. <laughs> well, just you'll see some evidence if you go on vacation and it'll, something turns up on your pillow, yeah. as sometimes happens. Micah, did you have something um, you wanted to share with us? Or, or is Paul, are you done? Or is there an update with what happened? Uh, was there some new big cat? Uh, yeah, there have been situation? any more sightings lately? Or? Yeah, there have been loads. And yeah. um, the point I was going to make was that even though there had been sightings over the last 20, 30 years, and uh, the reasons for them being here are numerous. People had them in private menageries. And when the law changed in 76, they were released. Also, there were some uh, American Air Force stations here where they kept them as mascots and they released them as well rather than taking them back to the States. Um, So, you know, we we think there's a breeding population of perhaps two to 300 in the UK. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, Yeah, it's a lot, especially if they're in your uh, bedroom, hey, Rich? (laughs) And uh, (laughs) There's a breeding population of animals in my house. (laughs) We kind of knew that, but we just didn't want to say. So I I guess... I'm going to release them. (laughs) 
but for you guys, I mean, where you are around Pasadena, I guess over where you are, Forest as well, you, you've got those animals native there. Uh, uh, well, there's. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that, uh, Glad. Is that uh, my a good friend of ours? Is that in my neighborhood of Los Feliz? Uh, we have a famous one that we've mentioned him on the show, but he is a uh, a cougar that uh, his his moniker is P twenty two. I'm going to guess um, yeah. somebody else would know that it's, it's for panther or puma, uh, but he's he's got a radio collar. But recently, he has been coming down out of Griffith Park and uh, you know walking around. But also, he's attacked uh, several people's pets, uh, smaller mm. dogs, usually, and uh, I think killing a couple. Wow. So he was uh, yeah. He needs to be. Well, they just captured him. So this is just a a uh, article that appeared in the L.A. Times, where I think he's been captured finally. And of course, yeah, you know, uh, unbeknownst to to him, he's like the uh, the Men in Black. They know exactly where you are. So he was darted, I think, and they're gonna just take him further into the hills or mm. uh, someplace where he, he can't get in trouble because there's also a risk that he could get hit by a car. That's happened you know, with some of the freeway crossing. So I think uh, somebody yeah. was telling me that he's getting on in years now. You said that the, there have been like uh, some deer that have been attacked. Yeah. And so the, de the deer that we have uh, predominantly in this part of the UK are muntjac deer. Hmm. They're, they're not very big, uh, but they, they can easily be taken down by one of these. And th there's some footage and eyewitness testimony of a cat going across a field after a deer and taking it out. Okay. Um, it was over, over the last year, I think. But they can tell by the remains what mm. the predator was, right? Yeah, they can. They can do toothpick analysis. Now, the the reason for myself and um, Rick putting out the cameras to try and get, obviously, video footage of these animals as they're walking through, but also the area where the carcasses were found last summer uh, we're hoping that they're uh, creatures of habit and come back around this way and then take the deer in the same place. Right. So there's, there's rhyme and reason to predator behavior. Yeah. There's evidence, teeth marks, as you pointed out. I only bring it up because it, it brings us back to cattle mutilations, which have been going on for decades and do not fit these patterns at all. No, that's right. Com completely hmm. different. I mean, Paul Sinclair investigated some uh, mutilations on sheep and uh, I think maybe some goats too uh, up in Yorkshire. And that, and it just stopped one day. And uh, it's all very bizarre. But there was a whole spate of them. And uh, I think the farmer lost about 15 sheep. Just quickly, something I'd heard. Uh, this is on, it's funny. I, you know, you, if you pay attention and you're careful with your data, and recognize connections. Uh, this is something that uh, was on 60 Minutes, and they were talking about predation by you know, mountain lions and different, uh, you know, other other apex predators. And uh, this is somebody who is a you know veterinary expert and a forensic doctor and veterinarian on these animals. And uh, something that interesting she says like, well, uh, how can you tell when you come across a carcass and that it's been you know it's been attacked and, and partially eaten by a natural predator? She says, well. If once you peel the skin back, you'll start to see in the various in the subderma and on uh, the tissues underneath, is that because of the tremendous bite pressure of these animals, is that there'll be a lot of bruising. Yeah. And she said that's how you tell that uh, something's been you know gnawing on this thing and, and trying to get a meal, but it's not something you see in a lot of these mutilation cases. Mm -hmm. 
is that there's no bruising. There's no tearing of the flesh. It's all very weirdly precise. They're or bloodless, it's like a aren't they? Most of them are bloodless. Yeah, a lot of them are. And so uh, is, that, is that natural and just something we don't know? Somebody that was on Jim's show a long time ago, and I, I listened intently, but he uh, Jim interviewed uh, Gabe Valdez, who's, uh, yes. yeah, he wrote the book, uh, especially for the area of uh, uh, Dulce base and all the mutilations going on there. Gabe's father was a law enforcement officer in the area for a long time and was documenting this. So Gabe took an interest and then he became law enforcement. I think after he retired, Jim, he he wrote this book and investigated a lot of cases. If I remember your your yeah, that's, that's my recollection. Although it becomes a blur after a while, but yes, that's right. <laughs> recollection. Yeah, yeah, you've got so many more uh, hundreds of shows, thousands of shows under your belt. But what I remember is like, okay, come on, let's get to the conclusion. What's going on here? As as we do with all this, and I think his conclusion was like, well, essentially, you know, out of a hundred cases or hundred uh, percent of the cases. We think 90, 94, 96% can, you know, they're weird, but they can be explained. Right. It's probably like, uh, you know, missing 411. However, there's always that 4 to 6%, which are so weird, we have no explanation. And that's the white crow theory is that, uh, it, the, you know, if you have 4 to 6%, which go beyond any medical scientific explanation, then it leaves open the door for possibility that it is something uh, yeah. not natural. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, anyway, it's it's like with everything else. It's like you hear yeah. uh what you boil it down, people say like, well, most of these can be explained. Most Bigfoot sightings are upright walking bears, but not all of them. Right. And so and, and, uh you know, four to six percent. Yeah. What's the percentage of people who report supernatural occurrences in their life? Probably about four to six percent. There's probably a bunch who have like something a little bit weird. And then there's the ones who have had alien abduction, near-death experience, something really dramatic that you can look at and go, well, that one, you know, you can you can sort out for a hundred years. You're never gonna have a really good answer. Well, I, I interviewed Dr. Michael Shermer about, I'm sorry, Alison, mm -hmm. I'll just finish this. And I um, interviewed Dr. Michael Shermer, who's probably the best known skeptic other than James Randi, the late James <laughs> Randi. And actually, Shermer was a real gentleman. I mean, mm -hmm. I disagreed with him about things, but he was open to discussing, which I really appreciated. And uh, I said, well, Dr. Shermer, let's say we almost exactly what Forrest was saying. Let's say I agree with you in 93, 94% of the, the cases that things can be explained where whether we're talking about ghosts or UFOs or all this Fortiana stuff. What about that extra few percent? She said, oh, we know all about that. We just put that up on the shelf. And it's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, no, don't put, take that off the shelf. Put the, don't yeah. put that up there. Let's right. take that off and let's examine that because that's what's interesting. Right. He, Jim, he that's one of my favorite uh, quotes. Yeah. I, Because I, I heard that interview and I, I use it all the time. It's like, yeah, maybe 10% we have no idea about. So we're not even going to look at that. Like, that's the part you should be looking at. But I, I also get it that you have no tools. Yeah. You're going to have to get out of your box. Uh, he, right. like to do he uses he uses ninety four percent of the buffalo, <laughs> and we use the other six percent. <laughs> what I don't understand is why of these big cats ABCs like why are they even controversial? Right, because like here in Milwaukee, we actually have there have been cougars that live in Wisconsin, and in uh, two thousand fifteen, there was a cougar that got into the Milwaukee area. 
And um, so my husband likes to take walks at night. So at that time, 2015, I was like, watch out for the Milwaukee lion. <laughs> and I was just joking. And then the next day I was looking at a community forum from our neighborhood. <laughs> and there were sightings like a block away. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, what? But my point is we know that these cougars like exist, but like the DNR, the Department of Natural Resources in our state, has such a problem with the idea when people report melanistic or black yeah. cougars. Yeah. And I don't understand why this is such a sticking point for people. We know that other animals uh, have melanism. Right. Uh, isn't it possible that cougars would have melanism? And yeah. um, so uh, some skepticism is just ridiculous. It uh, reminds me of a critical thinking class I took um, in, in college way back when. My professor was a journalist. He shared with us um, an argument he got in with his editor about whether or not uh, there were uh, coyotes in Wisconsin. And, you know, the professor was like, well, I have reports, you know, from witnesses that there's coyotes. And he says, absolutely not. There are not coyotes. And now I see coyotes in my backyard, <laughs> like not all the time. But, the, you know, this is within the city limits. Yeah. Um, but it just shows you how narrow minded people can be. I mean, I understand skepticism about like a dog man or something like that. But we're just talking about a cougar that may have melanistic qualities. <laughs> That right. does not seem uh, like such a problem. Uh, this is Jordan. Uh, my uh, melanistic <laughs> cougar ate my homework. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay, Richie. It happens all the time. <laughs> you see, this is. <laughs> I'm the best teacher ever. You really are. <laughs> you really well, was. <laughs> well, Micah, what? Uh, first of all, I I did want to hear about your acoustic levitation because Scott famously was ridiculing me about the sonic saw technique being used at ancient sites like Tiwanaku. And I thought like, well, why not? You know, possibly is that how they got the cuts so perfect? But we we never sorted that one out. We just left it as a, a just an open wound. But uh, you said you also had some other uh, updates of something strange happening. No, I have nothing interesting to talk about. Merry uh, Christmas. Everybody. Good night. Good night, Micah. Thanks for coming. First of all, the sonic levitation thing, as far as I know, has very little to do with the idea of the movement of large stone blocks. Mm. Uh, that was recently a, a, a prospect raised by a commentator, which, of course, is always going to be the angle that people take. We're talking about very small things, exceedingly small objects. I mean, little particles that can be captured in a standing wave. Now, this has a lot of medical benefits. This has a lot of unique possible benefits in terms of industry. I don't see any kind of explanation for how the pyramids were built, per se. But it is interesting. Uh, sonic Levitation, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to go on Amazon.com, you can actually purchase Sonic Levitation kits. You can see this in action for yourselves at home. A great last-minute Christmas gift idea. Might even fit inside of a stocking. Now, coming back to the big cats here for just a second. You know, we, we get a lot of those kind of reports down here in the southeastern United States as well. Allison, you know, to your point about, oh, wow, you know, if we saw coyotes around here, yeah, I see those in my backyard too. But back a few decades ago, it's funny how people would have been resistant to that idea. Um, the large cats, it's incredible. I mean, I see unequivocal, you know, for instance, video footage of what are obviously large cats, similar to what you were just showing us, Paul. And people will say, oh, that's, you know, a, that's a house. Look, oh, my God, look, Richie's got another photo, two of them, two of them. Right He's got a problem. He's got a real problem. Hey, Rich, here's your problem. They're multiplying, Okay. 
<laughs> I know. We started with one. But then one went melanistic. I don't the know. trouble with tribbles. You know, I, I see people look at the footage uh, and the photographs of what are unequivocally large cats, at least larger cats. And uh, they'll say, oh, you know, that's a house cat, a really big one, but it's just a house cat. And I'm like, listen, let me tell you something. In North America, confirmed, all right, we not only have the Western cougar and the Florida panther, the Eastern cougar is presumed to be extinct. I have questions about that. But we've also got jaguars that are actually ranging up into Arizona, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and other states. There's archaeological evidence as far north as Pennsylvania of the existence of jaguars in the United States, okay? Back then, it wasn't known as the United States, newsflash. I've talked with hunters. I've talked with hikers. I've talked with people right here in Asheville, North Carolina, who just up the road from where I am, say that they have actually seen what they believe are some variety of large black cat. And based on the description they gave me, the modeled appearance of the cat's fur, I guess, you know, it's, it's pelt in the sunlight, seem to describe to me a jaguar because even you got to keep in mind jaguars generally known as being yellow with black spots but they have a color morph that some can go under where they have a dark dark brown kind of a coloration under the right lighting you'll notice they still have those same spots and so and again paul you know rick mentor and i've talked a good bit about this we had him on the program with mike mays did an excellent show on the sasquatch tracks podcast talking about all of this the description i uh, i received talking with a hunter in my area who said he saw one of these things and he didn't try to shoot one, but he looked at it through his rifle scope so he could get a better look. And he said there were clearly splotches or, or, or blotches on its coat. This seemed to be a description of a jaguar and its actual spotted appearance, but uh, having undergone that color morph. Now to Allison's earlier point, if big cats can undergo color morphs, and let's just look at this for a moment, okay? Not just jaguars. We also have a lynx recently that was spotted in Canada that had undergone a black color morph. We also have tigers that undergo a black color morph occasionally. There's an interesting hypothesis I have, and this ties in with something that is not related to cats per se, but I mean, we've seen it in moths, frogs, all kinds of other animals what's known as industrial melanism, where an animal as a result of environmental changes can sometimes rather quickly undergo mutations or other kind of changes that result in a color change that's beneficial to its survival. So I ask, you know, the tawny cougars that we see on the East Coast presume extinct, but we still hear reports about black panthers over here in the Eastern United States. Is it not impossible, or rather I should say, is it impossible that a color morph is understanding about those cat species too, like lynxes, like tigers, like jaguars? and other known large cat species. I don't think it's crazy. The interesting thing, too, is that I've noticed that there's, in terms of the distribution, a bit of an overlap between sightings of where these large carnivores, cats, occur, and where sightings of Sasquatch tend to be prevalent. Mm. Uh, where the eastern cougar is presumed to be extinct, we don't hear as many reports about wild men, but I can go back and look in the, the New York Times archives in the late 19th century, and there are a lot of reports of wild men encounters. But out west, where... Western cougars are still prevalent. Again, there seems to still be a prevalence of Sasquatch reports. We have in the Florida Everglades, we have this, you know, reports of the so-called skunk ape. And that's yeah. where the panther species in America that's still, again, well, well known and very much alive. I've seen videos in recent days. Uh, the uh, Florida panther is still seen. So I wonder sometimes if the overlap between the environments where those large uh, species tend to be reported if that overlap isn't indicative of environmental factors that allow or are conducive to their sustenance, you know, food, perhaps coverage, and, you know, maybe even just the warmer temperatures in some of those environments or other factors that may be conducive to their prevalence and their uh, continuance. 
I mean, that's all speculative, but I mean, the one thing that's not speculation to me is that people see big cats. They see them in the UK, and you can make the argument again, Paul, I think would probably speak to this point, exotic pets, things like that. That's certainly a large number of these sightings, but I'm open to the possibility that, again, some of the known extant animal species do things that lots of wildlife experts simply would never guess and are not open-minded to, but which we have plenty of evidence of. Again, to Allison's point, really, this color morph thing, I don't see why people are so resistant to that idea. I think it's a very good case to be made that some of these animals do undergo some sort of a melanism and there may be mutations and things that are conducive to that. So anyway, uh, moving right along, I've got a weird story I want to share in very keeping with uh, the uh, tone of tonight. I was at an event earlier this year. A friend of mine, I won't name this individual, but this almost gets into some of that Fortean kind of MIB zone information. This man's a very respected, uh, respected academic. And uh, at an event that we were all at together, he and I and several other speakers, he just kind of disappeared. He just vanished one night. And nobody was sure exactly what happened to him. The next day he comes out and he says, you know, I'm sorry, guys, I disappeared early last night. I had to just vanish because I had a very strange experience last night. And I said, well, you know, that never happens at events like this. You want to tell me kind of what happened to you? And uh, he said, I don't really want to talk about it, but I mean, I will tell you just because I think as a matter of research, this could be interesting. And the story he told was that um, there had been a kind of a meet and greet the first night of this event. And uh, an individual had come up to him and said, there's somebody I want you to meet while you're here. And this individual had come up and he'd met with this person and this individual who he had been introduced to, a man, said, if I could step outside with you, I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes. And so they went outside and he said that this man sat down, put his hand like on his knee as though like almost uh, through touch uh, was, was sensing something about our unnamed academic. But uh, he said that they sat down and they spoke and everything. And this man looked him in the eye and told him all these things about himself and his past that as my friend put it to me, my wife doesn't even know about me. And he said it was so unnerving to him and frightened him so badly that he just had to go back to his room and, and cash in early for the night. And he would only talk about it privately, and hence why I don't mention his name here, of course. He would only talk about it privately with, with me and a couple of other people at this event, but he said I was completely baffled and, and entirely unnerved by some of the things that this individual told me. And I don't have any idea how he knew the things that he said that he knew. But again, this comes back to some of those Keelian, as I call them, Keelian phenomena. You know, John Keel would be preceded by someone, an avatar, some sort of a doppelganger or something, or maybe just people claiming to have you know, known John. He'd get to the side of, uh, you know, an a, a incident in the West Virginia Valley and people would say, oh, yeah, you know, your assistant was here the other day and she was asking us questions about this. And John, of course, you know, well, well, my assistant, I, I don't have an assistant. Who are you talking about? I, I don't have any assistant working for me. And people who would, uh, <laughs> the John Gill, I think Rich appreciated that, but, you know, he had no idea who these people were who claimed to be working with or for him. And that kind of an aspect uh, is very strange to me, especially when it seems to almost involve a precognitive or an atemporal, i.e. time travel kind of an element. Uh, and that seemed to be what my friend was describing. And he said, this person, I don't know if they were a time traveler. I don't know what was going on or if they read my mind. But there is no way they could have known the things that they knew about me and sat down and told me in the weirdest, creepiest way. And it bothered him so bad that he 
went to bed and didn't talk about it. Did, and, did this person tell him why he was telling him these things, though? No, I, 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 that much, at least, Jim, wasn't conveyed to me. But, you know, it's not unlike some of those stories that you guys hear, you know, on the uh, the campfire. People who have had these almost like time slip kind of experiences. Yeah, sure. Sometimes your environment changes and you're stuck in the middle of something that doesn't match your temporal <clears throat> relationship to space-time. Sometimes you meet people who seem to have like come from someplace else. And that's how this guy described this. Hmm. And it was just really, really strange. I've never had one of those experiences myself. I'm the most boring guy who studies the weirdest <laughs> stuff ever, you know, happened. But I mean, but because of that, I guess people send me cool books. So, you know, I got to come back around to what Rich was talking about with, with cool first edition books. Look at this. Um, there we go. Yeah, you yeah, might as well nice. make this. Oh, uh, yeah. So this, uh, my good pal, Jason Pentrail sent this to me a few years back, but one of those original Amazing Stories magazines. You know, all these first editions, you guys are all bragging about your first editions. I got my first edition copy of the histories by Herodotus. <laughs> signed by Herodotus. He <laughs> 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 signed it. I know. Yeah. I can't even read it. But if you had that verified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Now, check this out. Back here on the uh, on the shelf behind me, I've been like shopping one time for used books, and I came across oh, like a copy oh, of Art Bell's wow. The Quickening. And so from cool. the high desert in the great American <laughs> Southwest. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be. This is Coast to Coast AM. I am Art Bell. Art Bell. Linda Bolson oh. Howe joins us in mere moments, but first, <laughs> look at this. Lo and behold, I get home. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Inside no. by the... The master himself, Art That's Bell. Amazing. That's yeah, amazing. What a, wow. what a surprise was that? But, East but of the Rockies, you're on the air. You guys need to compare. You need to compare and see who's real and who's just yeah, fake. I don't know Jim. who's real and who's fake. Here, Jim, is that, is that the they look the same color? to me. They do look the same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, there's Wait, get yours out again, Micah. Jim, is that the same book? Let me see the cover. This is the art of talk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Oh yeah. No, no. Look, look. Yeah, the. Uh, Let's see. The, yeah, I think it is the same. Yeah, it looks pretty much the same. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's, not, it's obviously a real. I have no idea. I have no idea whose is real. I bought this off of like well, there Amazon might or eBay or something. So there I, might I, I, I'm not claiming that mine's real. I think that is his legitimate signature, and there are minute, yeah. minute differences. But I mean, you can actually, when you hold this up, you can clearly see that this is actually drawn with a blue all oh. point. Oh yeah, pen. this too. This too. Yeah. Yeah, wow. somebody Isn't signed that cool. it. That's very well, cool. Um, if so I may, I, here's, here's one more real cool thing, though, mm -hmm. too. We're talking about these first edition copies of books. Rich, you will appreciate this. Paul, I bet you will, too. Anybody know what this book is? You're going to have a hard time guessing from this angle. <laughs> from that. <laughs> no. What is but it? A hardy one. This, will help. this will help a little bit if oh, I turn it. Cover. Oh, Jacques Vallée. Vallée. Wow. Yeah, Jacques Vallée, a first edition Regnery copy of Anatomy of a Phenomenon. This given to me, gifted to me by my dear friend Patrick Green. A first edition, that's really cool, but this is also cool. The other day, right here at Christmas time, I hadn't expected this. I got a package in the mail, and I, I didn't recognize the address, and I opened the package, and what it was was it was a copy of Jacques and Paula's recent book, Trinity. Yeah. And then I opened it up, and of course, Jacques had inscribed it and had mailed oh. me a copy. Oh, what? Wow. Of That's his, pretty his, awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. So, so now I have a first edition copy of his first book, yeah. and I have a signed copy of his most recent oh, book. So wow. that's 
that's kind of cool. But you know, Jacques and Jim probably knows this. Jacques has always been a hero of mine and just a yep. delightful guy, just a wonderful researcher. I finally got to interview him this year. He was awesome. Yeah. Uh, thanks to I, that's our really, friend Chrissy. Micah, yes, I, I've got to I've got to do this before before we finish tonight. Yes, but, please, because um, I know it's getting late over there for you. Well, yeah, it's nearly uh, nearly one a.m. here, but uh, let's see if you recognize this studio. With uh, I'm, I'm sitting in the chair there. Do, do oh, you recognize? Yeah. Oh God! Well, that looks like uh, that almost looks like Art Bell's studio, but that is Art Bell's studio. Oh, oh my gosh! Correct. Okay, you got to explain this. You got to explain that now. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, um, I I got to meet him very briefly, and. Uh, but I'd, I'd gone over there and uh, took a drive past, and uh, I, I was friends with Heather Wade, who was Art Bell's uh -huh. protege for quite Midnight a while. in the desert. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And um, at the time, she was using that studio, and uh, she let me sit in the chair and uh, try on his headphones. And um, wow. yeah, life wow. never got any better than that. So. Wow, that's and amazing. She was great too. Yeah. Well, you know, I still love I love listening to those old Art Bell episodes, and that's one of the reasons. Again. Uh, Jim would would rec, uh, you know both recognize and respect this. Uh, the Heil PR40, this microphone right here, uh, has been used by many excellent broadcasters. Jim Harold is one of them. Leo Laporte is one of them. But mm -hmm. Art Bell often he used a lot of different microphones. But he mm -hmm. always said he loved the sound of the PR40. Now, I saw him using an Electro Voice uh, RE20. I saw him using mm -hmm. other microphones too. He even had that headset thing, which Jim you may know with that headset mic was it looked like a like something you you know use while you're flying an aircraft but i always heard him talk about the the pr40 and uh, and that's the reason and he i probably used, used heil stuff because he was a ham mm -hmm. and uh, heil made a lot of stuff for uh, ham radio operators mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome. it was known that he would after the after his program at night he would sign off and then he'd get on his ham rig and he would talk to hams all over the world and, and there are some recordings even of, of art. Yeah. So imagine that after you've listened to him doing his light, late night broadcast, you know, you get on your ham radio and you're, 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 you know, tuning in and everything and listening to everybody. When there's Art Bell, you hear that unmistakable voice just chatting, just chatting with his buddies, the hams, you know. He is the originator. I always say this. Yeah. Everybody that does this in any form, whether it's traditional broadcast, it's podcast or whatever, that's the guy who set the standard. He's kind of, Paul, uh, our guy for night, late night shows here in America is Johnny Carson. I equate him to Johnny Carson for late night uh, shows. Uh, he is that to paranormal radio and by extension podcasts. He is the originator and he's the one that I think in many ways made it all possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one thing that we would uh, like to do now before we start to wrap things up, I think, is talk about somebody that most of us know. And uh, Glad, you are, I know it is so late there. You are free to jump off if you want, anytime I'm, you want. I'm going to stay to the bitter end. Okay. All right. Ride it out. Winston Churchill would be proud of your. <laughs> if I raise my glass to you, Sir Paul, we can fight them on the beaches. <laughs> look, we will fight them on the beaches. <laughs> so uh, we wanted to uh, take a moment to uh, reflect on someone who uh, several of us have interviewed, some more than others, and also uh, was a good friend of Allison's, been on your show several times, Jim, and that would be Linda Godfrey, who recently passed away. Yeah. 
she's an amazing author who was a pioneer. She wrote this book, uh, several books, but uh, we had her on to talk about uh, Monsters Among Us, uh, The Beast of Bray Road. She was an expert on, uh, among many other things. Uh, When we had her on, it was amazing because her ability to peel back the layers of things that accompanied these uh, cryptid sightings and these strange sightings uh, in a way that, uh, that she looked into details that a lot of people overlooked and found common ground and really strange circumstances around things. Yeah, that is so cool. But I don't know, Allison, maybe you want to talk about her. I know that you uh, that you were close with her. Yeah, I just love Linda. And uh, call back to Paul, you know, one of her last projects was uh, Return to Wildcat Mountain. About She made a, a movie with her son, Nate Godfrey, about the melanistic cats big cats in uh wisconsin and uh oh yeah look at that yeah so this is just a great a great project that she worked on with nate and uh she was just um you know such a mentor to me it's a really a great loss because you know not only did she bring to light the bray road beast which is our wild man in uh wisconsin Um, You know, starting in the 80s, you know, she was Mm -hmm. researching uh, just the end of the 80s. She wrote a lot of books about a lot of things, even, uh, you know, her last book was, uh, I believe, this one, um, Haunted Wisconsin. And uh, which is really cool. She even got me um, into the book and I contributed some stories. So I think this was probably her last book because it's uh, 2021. But Other than, you know, being this great journalist of the paranormal, she was really just a a friend that couldn't be surpassed. My friend, uh, our mutual friend, uh, Kevin Nelson, who's an author, he referred to her in his uh, comments um, after he learned of her death that she was kind of the den mother for Wisconsin researchers. And I mean, that certainly was the case for me. She just... um, Back in uh, 2017, I was um, doing a lot of uh, YouTube videos investigating local paranormal sightings and not so local all all the way from Milwaukee to Chicago and back again and and again because I thought it was important. Like, hey, we're having a big flap. Somebody's got to get there on the ground and actually take video of the sighting locations. So she was really worried about me and she gave me uh, an a protective amulet and she hung it in my um, on my rear view mirror um, and it was actually um, gifted to her back around 2006 uh, when she um, did a monster quest about uh, the Wisconsin man bat uh, sighted uh, near La Crosse, Wisconsin and uh, the witness um, actually you know gave her this amulet and then she gifted it to me as protection because I drive around (laughs) too much. Uh, And that was just, uh, it just shows her kindness and that she would just think, that was just one of the things she gave to me. Uh, She was always bearing gifts and uh, getting me paying speaking gigs and writing, paying writing opportunities. And she she was like a motherly figure uh, to me, but um, also like a fun friend because um, she would go out um, on walks with with me and uh, like some mutual friends that she called like her strong women group. Um, so we'd go 
hiking um, in the uh, lower uh, Kettle Moraine, Southern Kettle Moraine. I, I go hiking because we're also looking for a possible Bigfoot, uh, <laughs> which, which you thought might be in the area. But they were good hikes, <laughs> regardless. And, uh, you know, she had me over to her house. And, you know, she, so she was a spontaneous kind of friend that like, really made me feel like a giggly teenager again uh, when we'd have sleepovers. And she'd make brownies and we'd just, you know, watch spooky paranormal documentaries. So, I mean, she was uh, just a, a one-of-a-kind person. And we lost her to uh, Parkinson's just after Thanksgiving this year. And it's quite a great loss. I, I try to look at it as, you know, I'm building my team over on the other side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was a really devastating loss, not not just for research, but of course, for our family and friends. Yeah. Jim, you had her on your show a few times as well, didn't you? Yeah, she was on the show three times. And first of all, she was very, very, in my experience, a nice person. I did not know her like Allison knew her. But the one thing I want to say is I was re-listening to some things that we had done with her in kind of reflection. And it came across to me how much she respected the experiencers. And she wanted to do right by them, cataloging their experiences. And when I think of her, I think of a lot of parallels between other authors in this realm that I admire. The late, great Rosemary Ellen Guiley, Mm. Brad Steiger, uh, who is also no longer with us, um, Nick Redfern, who is happily with us. Mm. People who have made a career and who have written in multiple ways, whether it's articles or books or whatever it might be, in a very professional, journalistic way, uh, a very solid way, very well done, but also leaving a space open for belief and a space open for the reality of these things. And it's a really fine line. And uh, few people can walk it well, I think. And, And Linda, along with some of the other people I've mentioned, there's others, of course, I I think she was one of those people who was uniquely able to do that, be professional, respect the experiencers. I think underneath, you know, she believed these things were real, but always did a very, very solid job of it. And uh, as everyone said, uh, it's a loss and and may she rest in peace. Well said. And uh, Allison, you had said that uh, if people wanted to make donations in her name, how does that work? We go yes. to yes. So you go to michaeljfox.org, and you'll uh-huh. just see over in the right nav there's a, a big orange donate button. Okay. And um, then once you're on the page, it asks you if you want to donate in someone's memory, and uh, then you can you know put in her name. And if you happened to know her like I did, uh, I know her husband, Steve, is still answering some of her emails. So you can put that email in and send a message to him. Um, But, you know, I'm sure, um, you know, the family is probably notified in some way. But but it's just a really uh, nice gesture. And it's also, I I think Parkinson's is a devastating disease. And it's great to to, you know, be able to at least, you know, use the passing as, as a way to, you know, get more donations for Parkinson's research. And also uh, buy your books and read them. They're yeah. Nice. 
Yeah, absolutely. 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 And, and like you said, Jim, she was very open minded. She was very respectful of the experiencers. And she was also open to being skeptical. You know, when I uh, became skeptical about certain things, I mean, she still embraced me and mm -hmm. uh, was open to discussing it. And so, I mean, she really taught me that you know, you don't have to believe everything that comes right. your way to be an investigator. She was an investigator that investigated. And, you know, when things, you know, didn't seem to line up, you know, she would talk about that. She would just lay it all out as she found it. And I really respected her and, you know, just loved her as a friend. I think, too, it's it's so great to see other women in this, no offense to all the men here. You all do great work as well. It's none taking. Um, <laughs> no, you're right. You're absolutely but, right. But um, growing up, a weird girl, especially going to Catholic school, uh, which you'd think, you know, all the ritual, they'd accept me more. But, um, <laughs> it, you know, I read Beast of Bray Road when I was pretty young. And we need more of that. We need more little girls reading weird books. We need yeah. more women and, you know, folks just getting involved and feeling confident and not feeling um, kind of like the same thing. If you like metal, if you wear a Metallica shirt, they go, what are your five favorite albums? Um, I always have my favorite five favorite albums and my five favorite cryptids at the ready. So <laughs> um, hopefully if you're, you know, a woman and you're intimidated for any reason, take her, you know, trailblazing uh, as an example and, and do the same. Because yes. I think that's probably what she would want. Yes, I thank you. Her. I wasn't on the interview, but just by her writing, I can tell. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for mentioning that, you know, that, that young girls, you know, need to see that, you know, just like they can be in the sciences, they can be in the paranormal. And there's there's plenty of, of um, people, even in the past, that, you know, maybe they haven't gotten the adulation that um, some men have, but you know, they certainly put in the work that is comparable or even surpasses male work in the subject. And and certainly there's been women in the paranormal for as long as it has existed. And they're not just mediums or, uh, you know, poltergeist agents. You know, they're not just people be beset by the paranormal. Oh, oh, I saw this. No, I mean, there are women who investigated as well. And, and those people really need to be showcased. I couldn't uh, agree more. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, anyone else, Forrest always likes to check before we before we go to a, a little bit of a closing. Does anyone else have anything else, lightning round, that they want to share before we uh, throw mm -hmm. it over to Micah for a minute for a little bit of music and wrap up the holiday special? Tess always um, has something unusual and, and, uh, and fascinating happen to her at, at the most unexpected <laughs> time. I get, when, when do you ever expect it? Other than uh, the next hours when we talk to her next, something weird has happened. <laughs> I, I promise. It, you know, and it's never anything big. It's usually, you know, sharing a listener you, story, a weird coincidence, yeah. see, seeing an astonishing legend sticker on the stop sign outside of the Hershorn Museum in D.C., oh. which is my home state that's not a state. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't get one of those. Um, but uh, I did do something that I would like to suggest. Um, if you are spending time with friends or family this Christmas Eve, you can tell ghost stories, but you can also do the Estes method. Over the summer, I participated in the Estes method with the host Brian and Eric from Brian and Eric Don't Belong Here, uh, the podcast after our uh, Paracon experience. And it was 
weird and delightful. And in the group, actually, Brian's mom joined in, um, who has like, you know, I feel like we always bring our friends and families who have no idea what an Estes method is. Yeah. Um, they think it's just a skiing destination or something. And I had the the opportunity to do it. And it's definitely, you know, I wouldn't say anything major or shocking happened or was revealed, but it definitely gave us some goosebumps. And I think um, the new Kirks really are our pioneers and, uh, you know, We've talked about it on the show, but if you have the chance and you can't convince someone to sit down for a story, uh, try getting them to do the Estes method. Oh, yeah. I will share in the chat the directions of how to do it. Yes. Cool. Well, Sir Micah, would you be able to share some of your musical stylings with us as we wrap up tonight? I think I might be able to, although I must, you know, for this to really work well, I have to get a guitar, okay? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, get, get the guitar. And for everyone else, thank you so much for joining us, for taking the time to be with us this year. We really, really appreciate it. And it, it means a lot to us to have such good friends come and, and support us. We really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And I, I just, uh, it, kind of tying into what Tess was saying, I've been uh, recently reading into some, um, I guess you'd call it metaphysical uh, self-improvement. And one thing I came across that I thought was was pretty special, I've been trying to get Scott to do it, and I encourage everyone to do it. And it's something that I think that uh, everyone here would agree with in that the concept is basically taking note if and you can even keep a, a tiny journal by your your nightstand before you go to bed before you go to sleep write down the magic you witnessed that day and it could be a coincidence it could be uh something synchronistic something that you saw that was that was pleasant <laughs> so i was telling the group uh, as i as i passed by on my way in today a little after 11 uh near a panera bread i helped a woman open her Jack Daniels bottle for her, so she could have an Irish coffee. And I was, that was my holiday gift to this person that she could enjoy her the rest of her afternoon. And I will soon be doing this as soon as we're over. Uh, but you know, just every day, just something that, uh, that you see that's odd, make a note of it. And what will happen by practitioners of this is that you'll mm. see the more magic come into the world. You'll see more coincidences. You will see more, Th wondrous things that happen to you that you encounter because part of it is just noticing it's paying attention that's the first part and in as much as you can don't don't just miss the uh, the wonderfulness of of odd things that happen in life because that's the spice of life in in some respects so try that coming into this new year just jot down when when something uh, happens because the art and act of writing it down there's something to that. And it's not only just for your memory, but uh, it opens it up and you'll see that the magic and weirdness of uh, and wonderfulness of our world is all around us if you just pay attention. There you go. And I, I hope that was enough time for Micah to get the electronic tuner going. First. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Uh, you did a masterful job there, my liege. Thank you so Thank much. You. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think I'm all set. So, you know, along with Linda Godfrey, unfortunately, in recent days, we also lost a tremendous icon in international ufology, A.J. Givard. A.J. was arguably the best-known Brazilian ufologist. He was a dear friend of mine, too. You know, spending time down there in Brazil, and I've spent a lot of time down there in Brazil, I got to know A.J. very well. And, uh, you know, he was a kind person. He was supposed to be at the International UFO Congress this year, and he wasn't able to make it because of some health problems that ultimately claimed his life two days ago. And so like those icons, again, AJ, Linda, 
so many others, some of the folks that uh, Jim mentioned there, Brad Steiger, tremendous friend, influence. There are so many people who have come and gone in this field, but I think that it's very important to remember them and the way that their, their work continues in our lives, in our memories. And so the old tradition in, in uh, Christmas uh, spirit of the British Isles was to tell ghost stories around Christmas. I don't know why we got away from that. People don't like to associate ghost stories with Christmas. But again, you know, the idea of the past, the present, and the future, that's an important thing, I think. And uh, it's, it's important to remember those who've come before us, those who are here with us, those who are yet to come. And as strange and as eldritch as some of this human experience that we all share together is at times, the fact that we share it together is very important. And so I'll put this one out to AJ and everybody else that we've lost and uh, in good memory and in fond spirits of the season right here. I just hope I'm in tune, right? Thank mm-hmm. you.
Thank you so much, Micah. Thank you. Well, everyone, thank you so much for coming. Uh, Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all and to all a good night. Thank you so much for joining us, folks. Reminder that if you want to see all of our beautiful faces and the live chat replay, you can catch the video version of this episode at youtube.com slash astonishinglegends. A very special thanks to our astonishing friends, Paul Gledhill, Micah Hanks, Jim Harold, Richard Haddam, and Allison Jordan. Check out their shows and work at anomaly, A-N-O-M-A-L-Y, dot co, dot U-K or micahanks.com, M-I-C-A-H-H-A-N-K-S.com, jimherald.com, or if you want to see Richard Haddam's latest work, you can watch Titans on HBO Max. And of course, Allison Jornlin and her brother's company, AmericanGhostWalks.com. Happy holidays, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next year. Please remember to support our sponsors. They help keep the show free and the lights on in Blanket Fortiana. In a daily struggle filled with traffic jams and wearing headphones to avoid conversations with others, we rely on two men and a podcast about Bigfoots to get us through the day. This is Astonishing Legends. Astonishing Legends is edited by Sarah Voorhees Wendell at VW Sound and co-produced by Tess Feifel, who is also head of research and the social media manager. Our technical producer is Ed Vicola, or as we call him, the mechanic. Special thanks to our announcer, John Bolin. Our theme, which is available as a ringtone, was composed by Judson Crane at foundermusic.com. All other music and sound design for the show is composed and created by Alan Caressia. Our logo was created by Tommy Beaver Design, and our animated graphics for social media and YouTube are done by Joshua Sloan at deadstreetproductions.com. Every episode going back to September of 2020 has a transcription available on its corresponding webpage at our website. Earlier transcriptions can be made available upon request to astonishingcontact at gmail.com. Astonishing Legends would not be possible without you, our listeners. Visit our store at astonishinglegends.com or interact with us and other listeners on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, Facebook, and YouTube. 
You can also visit us at patreon.com slash astonishinglegends, where patrons have access to additional bonus content, including the Patreon-exclusive show, Astonishing Junk Drawer, which is available every week the main show is not. No part of this show may be reproduced anywhere without permission. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions. Good night. Good night.